Are you sitting comfortably? Then we'll begin. Everybody and welcome to another episode of There's Still Time, the AFTN Soccer Show, broadcasting on CITR Radio 101.9 FM from the unceded Musqueam Territory at the University of Beautiful and Scorchingly Hot British Columbia. I'm Michael McCall. I'm Zachary Adam Meisenheimer. And we're going to be joined by Steve later on in the broadcast. He's just having a few technical issues just now, but we've decided. We're too hot. We're not waiting for him. We want to get this finished as soon as we can and get our air conditioning back on. I mean, it's exciting, Zach. It's the first podcast that we have recorded naked. <laughs> I, I was pushing for this to be a live stream on YouTube, but you, you wisely talked me out of it because we might then get banned. But we're going to start things off, as always, by opening up the gift that keeps on giving, Steve's 2011 Upper Deck Trading Card Packs that he gave to us as a Christmas present last year. And I've got to start off with some terrible news. The pack that I opened last week, we've been so cocky about not getting any doubles. It was full of doubles. And I've had a sneak peek at the pack I've opened just now. I think I've got another pack of six doubles. But we'll see when I get to put it away. I'm going to start off with a guy that either you've got or I've got. He's from TFC. He's a defender. It's Ty Harden. Oh, you have them. I don't think oh, I do. Oh, this is another pack then of doubles for me. Well, sticking with the total football clowns, um, I have a former Colorado Rapid midfielder, Nick LaBrocca, TFC. Which I you Do you have this one? I don't have this one. I don't know what I've got anymore, but I do know I have this guy. He's a Houston defender. It's Blobby Boswell. Now, remember I told you before we started, Michael, that, oh, you have that one, yeah. I think mm-hmm. I might have that one too. Uh, I told you, uh, my son here, Kirk, uh, told me that this pack he's calling the good, the bad, and the ugly. The card he's referring to as as the ugly is uh, from the Flounders, Alvaro Fernandez. Oh. Do you remember him? He was, I think he was I a do. DP. Was he a DP, I think? Possibly. Yeah. Well, this is that card I know I've definitely got as well. Uh, it's a rookie card. If only he was any good. It's John Rooney. The Rooney you don't want. Nice. Yeah, you have that one. Yeah. Um, this is one of my favorite cards, uh, to, in this whole series, Michael, um, Kirk's calling this the good of the deck. Now he's wearing his old team Jersey, like a lot of these cards, but it's, uh, 2011 expansion draft pick, I believe. Yeah. He played tonight, started on the left wing, Shea Salinas, Vancouver White Oh, I think he played tonight in the, in the big Cascadian Derby, but no. 
Well, I've got a guy I also have. This guy as well. So this is a full pack of doubles. Chicago Fires, Corey Gibbs. Oh, I remember him. Yeah, I got him. Uh, another uh, total football clown, uh, striker, left-footed striker. Uh, I believe he scored on March 19th, 2011. Uh, Mike Consantos. He got one of the goals, right? Dero got one. He got one? I think. Yeah. I think so. Okay, my next card, DC United. He's a midfielder. He's Junior Carrero. Oh, yeah, we got that one. He's Fred's nephew or cousin or something. Uh, I'm a little bit hungry. I haven't eaten much today. And this always make goats always make me hungry. Um, this is uh, Chivas USA, Giancarlo Maldonado. Oh, well, my last card, I have him as well. Houston Dynamo again. It's Danny Cruz. Kirk, Kirk called this the bat of the deck. It's uh, from the team that's playing right now, the Portland Timbers. Um, I'm going to pronounce it right DK, Michael. Well, my last card that I, I got there, Zach, was Danny Cruz. And I thought the the game between the Whitecaps and Seattle on Saturday night, it was going to be the Sounders that were in Cruz control. But it did not play out that way. No. We're going to chat about that. We're going to chat a little bit about the CPL that kicked off as well this weekend. But before we get to all of that, I, I, I want to try something a, a little bit different. And we're, we're going to just quickly talk about the midweek game, Whitecaps to the LA Galaxy. It was a 2-1 loss, a second consecutive game where they gave up the winner in stoppage time. They did, of course, score a goal in stoppage time as well. So we're not going to, we didn't get a chance to do a post-game show just because of work commitments and, and various things. So we're not going to delve too much into it. So what I thought I would do, and I've wanted to try this for, for a while, and I was actually going to to do it for both the games tonight, but I think tonight's game's probably got a little bit more to talk about. I want to do a recap of the game, the 90 minutes in 90 seconds. So I'm just firing up my stopwatch here. So let's see if I, I, I can get this done. So the Whitecaps played LA Galaxy in Sandy, Utah on Wednesday night, heading into the game. Didn't really know what to expect, but they, they were coming out of it after giving up two stoppage time goals to Real Salt Lake in their previous game, making it four straight losses. If they'd lost this one, it was going to be tying the club record of five, which the, the club had achieved in 2012 and 2019. I say achieved, that's obviously a, a, a very loose term analogy there. I mean, the first half was a bit of a snooze fest. Neither side had any shots on target. And you're thinking, oh, well, Whitecaps still in this one. Didn't last long. Two minutes after the break, Chicharito got his eighth goal of the season. Eight goals for Chicharito. The Whitecaps, as a combined team, only had seven goals by that point. And you're thinking, uh-oh, the writing's on the wall. But the Whitecaps fought back, and they fought back well. Gianni Obekel, the man who gave the ball away, really, that led to Chicharito's goal, finds himself in acres of room in the Galaxy box, fires a low one into the back corner, cue massive celebrations, MDS joins in, the players go crazy... Perhaps, though, they should have kept their, their focus because a minute later, Efrain Alvarez, an absolute screamer, into the top corner, 2-1 Galaxy, another stoppage time loss, another Whitecaps loss, five in a low row. Terrible stuff, Zach. Was that 90 uh, seconds? Yeah, that was 92 seconds, so I went a little bit into stoppage time. Oh, 90, 90 plus two is not bad. Yeah, so um, we'll, we'll take that. 
Yeah, it was, I mean, I believe I told you it was going to be a 3-1 win for the Galaxy. So I did, I didn't mind the stoppage time goals in one sense. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I, I don't know how much social media stuff you looked at, Michael, but I did see one awkward comment talking about, talking about how MDS was unprofessional and celebrating. Yeah, I was going to mention that to you. I, 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 I thought it showed great passion. Yeah, like to me, like you want, like you, you want people to care. Like you want, you want yeah. them to be excited. You want. I had, I mean, did that make them not focused? Did that make them? Was it an over celebration because because it wasn't a go ahead goal? Like, yeah, geez. that that was the big criticism that I saw, and I do get that because you're celebrating just getting a point, but this was a team that's been going through hell, and to come yeah. out of it with a point, I I think is. It was a step. It yeah, would have been. It would have been great, and it would have been something to build on. It would have stopped the rot, but instead we know we know how it ended up, and it was a screamer of a goal that won it from Alvarez. I mean, I don't think many or any keeper is going to keep that out. No, it, I mean it, it, that kind of criticism felt really, really, really harsh. And yeah, you want people to care, and you're right. I I, I think it was. I I think the the better team won. Like. I, I mean, yeah. they showed their they showed their quality, and they showed you know a never say die kind of attitude. I love their Northern California <laughs> counterparts who they played today. Um, but did the players switch off after after equalizing? Yeah, maybe maybe they did a little bit, and maybe that's something that they well that is something that they did focus on, and it was talked a lot about after uh, the follow up game to this, which we'll talk about in a moment or two. But there are a lot of people right now, Michael who are frustrated with the Whitecaps, who are frustrated with the coaching staff, are frustrated with the players and stuff. And I don't want to totally sound like a broken record, but it like you can only do so much with what you have. Mm. And I know there's a who, you know, he played, he played a, you know, the coach has played a big role in putting together the squad and stuff. But there's one, uh, one other perspective I really want to address. And maybe, maybe you want to talk about this more later or you want to slot this into a different part of the show, but, there's a comment I keep from a certain segment of people who keep saying, you know, people need to stop talking about the amount spent on the uh, amount that they're spending because what was it last year or two years ago or whatever it was, they were no, the, just last year, the, last the year. highest so spenders in highest spending football club in CONCACAF. Here's the thing. As easy as it is to turn around a roster and a team in MLS in one season, they obviously haven't done that, but also, you can't make up for 10 years of underspending both on transfer fees and on player salaries in one year of being the most, you know, and they didn't, they spent like, I forget what the number was, but they didn't spend like more than 20 million on transfer fees, right? Like the people saying that that makes up for all of that and that outdoes all of that. And that means that no one should talk about what they've spent on transfer fees and specifically on player wages and how they're using that. Is a is a is a bit frustrating because you look at the game at LA, you look at some of these other games, and quality of the squads like shows through, right? I think something we would all agree on, Michael, you, Steve, and I at least, is that the league table doesn't lie. I know last year's an awkward year and whatever, blah blah blah, but like the league table doesn't lie. It kind of your true colors show through, and I don't know. I I, I don't think. As much as Axel was excited to say that, hey, yeah, we're spending less than everybody and we're doing better than, than everyone at that point, three or four matches ago, whatever it was, 
Like, I don't think the the league table is going to lie that much. I don't think they're going to be far away from what they're actually spending on no. on salaries. But what I would say, though, is, like, when, when people say, oh, the owners are cheap, they're, they're not prepared to spend anything, they want the team to lose, they want to move away, I do point out that that isn't the case because they have spent this money on transfers. They wouldn't be doing that if they weren't wanting to try and turn this team around. But he, but but the other side of that though, Michael, is I think they're I know spending. Previously, they haven't. Yeah, pre- one previously haven't. Two is Michael. The reason why I think they're spending money now is they realize they can't sell the club for what they want because the value of it uh, has diminished so much. I don't know and, that it has though, because uh, you move this team to any city, and you've basically got a a, a new expansion team. Yeah. Oh and no. You, I, I. You can just you can rebuild it as if it's a new expansion team, but you're actually inheriting some players with it, where you wouldn't with an expansion team necessarily. But I don't think anyone. You're right. I agree. You could get it for a cheaper expansion. Totally cheaper than the two fifty, two hundred, three hundred, whatever these ridiculous numbers that MLS has been getting recently. But uh, I don't think that they're a really. I don't I, I, in their attempts to sell, which my understanding is they've tried to sell as much as they try and PFL people they haven't. It, it, it has I have not been successful in part because of where I think where the valuation of what the club is at the moment. Because I think they've tried to sell to locally or to people who would keep it locally, and and people who understand its place in the local community know that it's not it's not as valuable as that franchise fee is to a, an outside community. Oh yeah, yeah. It's it's definitely more valuable to to outside. But one thing I would say, like people that's angry about the team, people that are very vocal on, on social media, I think that's good because it shows that people still care. Because it would be really easy to not give a shit about this team anymore and just walk away and give up on it. And the fact that there is people out there that are criticising everything and like decrying everything and wanting the team to do well I, I i like that it shows that folks still care about this team but and if you didn't have that you're in an even more perilous state than you are yeah but as much as there are there is a uh, there is an amount of people that are doing what you just said there's also a, a, at least a significant amount of people who also don't care anymore oh yeah there is a lot i mean i've had so many folk tweet me this week alone just saying, I don't care anymore. I had season tickets. I used to go every week. Now I don't even necessarily watch all the games. And yeah, I mean, I I, I totally get that. It, it's a shame. And they're going to have to do a lot of work when they get back to Vancouver, as we've talked about, maybe not necessarily this year, but definitely for next year, depending on how this year plays out. And the easiest way of doing it is to get a winning team on the pitch. And... But we'll talk about a potential new addition later on as well. What what the team needs to do, first and foremost, is still have people interested in this season when they get back to Vancouver. I wrote on the site, and I think I said in the last show as well, the worst thing that they can do is to go on a massive losing streak, get back to Vancouver, their season's basically over, no one's really going to care. It was important to stop the rot. There were five straight defeats, as I mentioned, that tied the worst that they've been in 2012, 2019, under Martin Rennie and under MDS. 
I lost against Seattle on Saturday night where I made it six defeats in a row. It's the club record that you don't want. If you're the manager, that is not the record that you want. And you would probably have to think, despite what Axel said, MDS's job would be on the line. Going into to Dallas, I felt that made it a must-win game for him. So they had to stop the rock. Have they stopped it? It was a, a one-point taken tonight in a two-all draw with Seattle. I think it was a good performance. It was a strong performance. It was a battling performance. They went toe-to-toe uh, against the undefeated Supporter Shield leaders. H- how did you view the game t- tonight? Were you Were you happy with what you saw from the team, the fighting spirit? I agree with you that there's a lot of positives to take away, aside from the the result, aside from the point, aside from not losing to um, arguably your biggest uh, rival, uh, no matter how they view you. Uh, yeah, I, I like. Yeah, there was a battling spirit there. They didn't give up, right? Like they went down a goal, and not only did they equalize, uh, but they also took the took the lead quite surprisingly, and perhaps. Perhaps illegally, but yeah, uh, I I I was on the the post game show on AM seven thirty, and when I was asked about that, I said I thought I had heat stroke and was hallucinating because the Whitecaps were in the lead at Seattle, but turned out it was real. Yeah, no, there's there are a lot of positive. I, I think one of the things I liked in terms of uh, how they're trying to figure out how to make this or their system, how they want to play work, was earlier in the year they were having a lot of a lot of success or a lot of positive things coming down their, their left side. And a lot of that was playing a four, four, two, where you had Russell Tybert on the left, who kind of could cover for an overlapping Gutierrez. And I felt like as they've shuffled things up a little bit recently, that they've lost some of that, the early effect that they had from that, but what they, and they tried to do this the other day and I don't think it worked as well, but what they've trying to do, I think is with this four, three, three, is I mean, for I wouldn't call it a four-three-three person. I think I think you I think it's called that for optics perspective to make it look like they're attack, more of an attacking side than they are. But because really, what to me, what it looks like is you have the back four as normal, but then you have three central-ish midfielders where you have it enables Russell Tiber to play like a left central midfield role, right, in that three, and to give them more numbers in the middle to help. Uh, in the in what they know is going to be a key part of the game, fighting and winning, uh, and distributing the ball from the middle of the field, it allows Russell to to tuck uh, tuck inside where he knows he has um, Diber doing the the attacking work on the flank, but it also still allows him to slot in for Gutierrez who wants to overlap and who wants to get forward. And I, but in essence, it's really another version of a four-five-one. But I think they've been using. I think they use that to good effect today, and I think that that's what they were trying to do in the last game, and it didn't quite have the same impact that they were hoping. Well, I mean that that that's fair. I'm delighted to see that we've got Steve back with us now, coming away from Seattle with a point after five straight losses, two stoppage time defeats. It's it's a good. It can only be good mentally for the team. I. I had a couple of people message me and say that I was getting a little bit excited just by getting a point. But I think the way the things have been, it's a good result for the Whitecaps. I know they gave up the lead, but coming away with a point, I did not fancy them going into this. I was bitten their hands off going into this to get a point. 
Yeah, even though um, I was given a 2-1 prediction uh, like prediction for this game, even though I didn't give the prediction, I had, oh. them for, <laughs> I, I had them for a loss. Um, I definitely did have them for a loss. Uh, I, I was actually out somewhere. I, wasn't wa- I didn't watch the game live, so I, I didn't uh, follow like all the general specific points of the game. But when I saw, you know, uh, oh, Steve for the win or something like that, and then I was like, okay, now i got to pay attention to what's going on. So then I started paying attention. And recapped everything right away. Then, yeah, I would would not have expected this is the this is the game where you wanted them to have a positive in uh, against LA so that they could slip up against this game or just play to what their level is against the Seattle Sounders. So while it doesn't make up for the LA game because uh, that is uh, definitely a huge negative, that's something they should have won um, or definitely came a point away with a point or something or or displayed a better performance. Uh, this one d- definitely does kind of reverse the track a little bit, but not fully. It's still spinning into the wrong direction. Yeah, it's, it's what they do after this now yeah. that is going to be key. Yeah, I mean, you, you, there's two big one, games coming up: Dallas and RSL. Even in their worst seasons, they've had they had those one-off games where everyone was like, "Oh my god, they actually did something against this team," and then they just did not follow up on that. So they need to keep following up on that. Uh, next game could be maybe a victory. And then another one, and then they just need to pile them up because they need to make up for that, that you know, that five-game uh, losing streak that they had there. Yeah, but I mean, they, they are, they're still very much in touch with the playoffs. I mean, we're we're talking yeah. that twenty-four yeah. left to play, and a bulk of those are are going to be hopefully in Vancouver. So I mean, there's definitely time to turn things around. Yeah, it's just right now they're right now just kind of starting to spin their wheels, and you don't want them to. You want them just to get some momentum. And get out of that mud, yeah, and not get stuck in it. Like, like they were look like they were getting stuck in it for a while there. Well, I mean, the, the game tonight, we won't break it down too much. Fortieth minute, Rui Diaz puts Seattle into the lead. I'm Who else? Thinking, oh, yeah, I'm thinking. Uh oh, here we go. I mean, they, they'd held on well. Both teams had had chances. You look at those first half stats, and the Whitecaps were ahead in so many of the metrics. Possession was pretty much 50-50, but they'd had more shots than Seattle. They'd had a better completed passing rate. Everything was was building up for, for a good performance. Then Rui Diaz scores that, and you're like, oh, here we go. I I, I really feared the, the worst. But they came out in the second half, and again, they had more of a spark, more fire. And I, I, I'll play a little bit from MDS in a, in a bit, but I said to Mark after the game, if you could just bottle whatever it is that happens in that second half and unleash it and sprinkle it in the first half, you'd be picking up a lot more points than you currently are. Because that's 10 games now with no goals in the first half. I Michael, don't know how long that can go on. Michael, you want them to bottle it? I want them to... <laughs> they, they did that in the last two games in stoppage time, you could argue, but... I didn't see them coming back at all. Did you, Zach? No, not at all. Not at all. I mean, you. I mean, you called four nil. I called yeah. three nil. Uh, yeah, I didn't. I didn't see this result coming at all. Um, which is which is a, a positive for them. Yeah. But I mean, I watched the I watched the post game. I saw saw your questions. Yeah, it is it is concerning that they still can't have a first half where they look threatening to the point that they're going to score 
Um, they had a couple of chances, and they always seem oh, yeah. to have a couple of chances. And like, Diver should have scored, and yeah. Caillou should have scored. Now, I, I'm not sitting here and saying Mark's not made mistakes, and that some of the, his tactics, his formations, just the team's performances have been awful in, in his tenure here. So I'm, I'm not being an apologist for him and sticking up for him 100. percent But at the end of the day, he can't put the ball in the back of the net for these guys. When you've got those opportunities, you've got to bury them. And you, you can't keep the ball out of the net for these guys as well. They've got to be mentally switched on. You can only do so much as a coach. And I'll say that about any coach at any club. It's like the players have to take a level of responsibility as well. But the second half, whatever was said at halftime again, they came out and the, the goal from Dahomey, absolutely fantastic goal. Great ball, first and foremost, from Caio Alejandri. Long punt forward, but he knew where Dahomey was, played it forward, it took a bounce. Dahomey chipped it over the on-rushing Cleveland and then coolly put it into the, the far corner, back to 1-1. I'll, I'll compare it to a, uh, an attempt by the Italian player today where he, uh, at the end of the 90 minutes he tried to do something spectacular when he should have done something nice and calm, and that's what Dahomey did right there. Yeah. Nice and calm, did the right moves, and played the ball where it had to be and finished it. And that's what you're looking for. Um, that's essentially what the Whitecaps lack sometimes when they, uh, that's the anti dermatics Composure. Yeah, anti Dan dermatics there, uh, where dermatics will just like fly around with it. Um, but it's exactly what they needed. And it kind of probably lifted them up because they saw a great finish. Sometimes you see somebody do something like that and it brings the whole team up. So definitely a huge goal for them at that point. I mean, Zach, lovely finish. He sh showed some coolness to do it, which a little bit later in the game, when it was 2-1, he had another great chance to make it 3-1 and he blasted over. So didn't have quite the cool head then. But I mean, that was a great finish. He was in the right place where you want him to be. And he sent in a beautiful ball for Kava for the second goal as well. He had probably the man of the match, I think, for the Whitecaps tonight. Yeah, I think he was named that too by... I forget who it was. I was going to say Gatorade, but that was, I think, the CPL one. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah we'll, we'll, we'll come to that weird one. I think it's GE's player of quality, is it not? Yeah, sure. Whatever you say. Um, but, uh, no, I mean, he, he did well. I mean, he's the leading scorer, isn't he? Or is he, he tied yeah. with... Yeah, yeah he's the leading, leading no, scorer. He's, leading. he's got, like, at least four, right? So, um, it was good to see him get back on the score sheet and to be clinical. And, yeah, MDS talked about it post-game, too. Like, they were, you could say they were a little bit lucky, I think with the Cavagol, which I don't think he necessarily he was referring to, but you could say they were a little bit lucky to maybe be in the game, uh, to draw the game 2-2, but they're also maybe a little bit lucky to not win the game. And uh, yeah, I, there was, I, like you said, in the first half, you're right, uh, Caicedo and more so, Kai, well, both of them, but Caillou, especially for me, those, his header, the free header, yeah. With ha at least half the net open, that's the, I think the second or third time he's done that this year, where he's he's missed that kind of chance, and I felt really bad for him. But you're right, he he is involved with an assist and or with a setup later. And I thought uh, he had a, a pretty good game, mainly in the second half. Yeah, he's another contender for me. Talking about plaudits and stuff, Janio Bikel as well. Another good performance from him at right back. I I like him at right back. Is Jake fully fit? And no, Jake's. Okay. I don't know what happened. 
because um, him and Gaspar were both coming back from their injuries. We know that Gaspar got uh, an injury at training, so he was out. And Blake Price said in the commentary that Nerbinski was also injured and couldn't make the 18, whatever has happened. Okay. I, d- I don't listen with commentary on anymore. Yeah, well, like you've got Javane Brown as well. So you've got your three right backs out injured. And then you've got a guy like Johnny Bikel to come in. And they mentioned as well in the commentary that Patrick Metcalf was the emergency right back, if need be, if anything happened to, to Bikel during the game. He also saw some time, which was nice for him. Yeah, I think that was needs must at that point. It's like they were starting to drop like flies. That heat definitely started to take its toll. Players were cramping up. I mean, we talk about Dahomey being where you want him to be. Kava was where you want him to be. Where MDS has box. talked about wanting him to be. Yep, in that six-yard box. Yeah, I mean, let's be honest. That is where he gets a lot of his goals. He was he was there with his feet, his head, his hands. Everything yep. was in that six-yard box. That's where he should have been. Steve, I don't know shoulders, you... knees, and toes. Yeah. Steve, I don't know if you saw him in the post game. He he said it's been thirty-five. years. It's been 35 years since Maradona's hand of God, basically. basically. He was paying tribute to him. Paying tribute, paying tribute to a hero. As I pointed out, though, it was against England. So that was good. This was against Seattle. So that's good. So, also good, yeah. yeah. I can't um, disagree with that logic. I, I should also mention that uh, I was wearing my Unity jersey today. And uh, <laughs> so I wore it to the place I went to because it, it contours my body really well, the black of it. Uh, so... Um, yeah, so it, black I, and the last heat time, waves a great idea, I think. Oh, well, yeah, but but you got to look at other things too. Uh, and also, I was wearing that against the and uh, the port when the port they beat Portland as well. So maybe I should keep wearing that on game nights. Oh, I I, I was worried there. I thought you were going to say you're wearing your Union Jack top or something. I was going to yeah. like cut you. Out. It's like oh, more technical difficulties. Steve's away. <laughs> but uh, yeah, let's talk about Cava's goal then. I thought it had hit off five body parts. Might be four. But it certainly did the rounds along his body. The ultimate question, though, is, was it a handball? Was it clear and obvious to Well, it wasn't clear and obvious because there is an angle from behind the goal that it, it really is hard to tell if it hit his hand or not, and it kind of looks yeah. like it didn't. Yeah. So I'll play you a little bit of Kava from the, from the post-game, just talking about the win, his goal, and just what this does to the team. Let's hear what Kava had to say. I just want to ask you, like, going into this game, I'm pretty sure you would have, like, taken a point. Do, do, are you happy to, to stop the losing streak by getting the point, or do you feel the game was there for the taking in all three? Um, I mean, uh, in, a, in a moment like, like this that we were going through, uh, I think coming to Seattle uh, to try and, like, take away that bad streak we had... I, uh, who would have knew that we would have got a result like this? You know, um, I was I, honestly I, I wanted to win the game, of course. Uh, maybe we should have deserved to win, uh, but I'm I'm still happy with the draw because um, I'm happy with the attitude of the boys today. It's not easy coming to Seattle. Uh, I mean, you can feel the heat in the stadium today. Uh, the fans, we were playing against everything. The refs. And we still managed to come with a result like that. For me, it's gold for us. And, I mean, we still have a lot in front of us. And there's still a lot of games um, going forward. So, uh, here we set the tone. And we just have to get out of that, like, bad streak we were going through. 
what was going through your mind when the board went up and said seven minutes? Mark kind of talked a little bit about it. Did you have all flashbacks to the last couple of games? No, honestly, I was waiting. I, I was cramping up bad, but, you know, I was like, oh, seven minutes, shit. <laughs> we have to run. We have to work. We have to work. I mean, I was working my butt off. And, I mean, obviously, they were attacking, Seattle attacking. Oof, they, they created a lot of chances, but... Honestly, I was hoping for one ball just to get like a rebound or we intercept the ball. And I was looking at the goalie. He was all the way up and I just wanted to take a shot from half, but never got the chance to. And I mean, luckily we ended the game 2-2, but yeah, I mean, that was a good seven minutes to try and get a last minute goal. But unfortunately, not, not the case this time. Let's talk about your goal then. It seemed to hit off about five different body parts as it went in. And I I was surprised it wasn't called back with VAR. Were you surprised? Did it hit my hand? Yeah. Did it? It looked like it may it looked like it may have. This is this is this is in memory of Maradona then. Thirty-five years. Hey, I'll take that. It was against England, so that's fine. <laughs> What does this do to the group mentally? You've got two big games coming up, Dallas, RSL. They're, they're two very winnable games. Obviously, RSL's a weird one because you're the home team against a home team. But how do you feel the group's going to approach this week in training? It must be setting you up in a high. and You must feel you're going to be able to get things done now before the next break. Yeah, I mean, now we have a, a full week to prepare well for the next game. Um, I mean... The vibe in the, the dressing room today is good. Uh, I see the players are just relieved. Um, I mean, it, the performance of the team was incredible today. A lot of showed a lot of character and attitude, and um, trying to get that identity back, as I said previously this week. And I mean, we just gotta, you know, fly back to Seattle, uh, Salt Lake. Sorry, uh, rest a bit, enjoy the day with our families, and start going back to work on on Monday and worry about Dallas. That's great. Cheers, Kava. Cheers. So Kava there just talking about his his goal. Um, was it handball? He doesn't know. He may have known a bit more when he first sat down, but we, we won't we won't go into all of that. <laughs> hey, they all count. I don't care what they go in out of. And MLS it has was... adopted the the new rule that comes into play in August anyway about handball. So. And the thing is, it, it, it's definitely not the most obvious handball. Um, it's like, like we like, I think there's been a number of handballs that were way more obvious than, uh, Cavallini's handball there. And, 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 and it was the angles were not that great. Like when you're looking at at full speed, it's impossible to tell if it hit his hand. Or yeah. Not. So if it's impossible at full speed, it, the replay should not be able to, uh, pick that out. That that's the translation for clear and obvious there. I, I've just got the quote sheet that they send out. Um, so I asked Kava four questions, and one of them was about that handball. That one didn't make the quote sheet. Hmm. Funny, funny that. Shocking, right? Yeah. But, yeah, 2-1 up. I didn't see it coming, and, like, stunned, genuinely stunned that they, they got ahead. I felt Seattle were going to come back into it, but like I mentioned, Dahomey had that great chance. Should have made it 3-1. But then Jimmy Bedranda drills one home from the edge of the box through a crowd of players as well, which I, I need to watch it back. I haven't actually watched that one back. But my gut feeling at the time was, how does it go through so many players? 
and no no one sticks a foot out or does something with well, it. It was a little bit to the side of them. Like there was a whole bunch of players mm-hmm. there, but he put it in the right spot. Is how is how I saw it on the replay and stuff. But um the bigger thing for me was the misses before that. Ru- Rui Diaz yeah. and uh, the Colombian. Yes. He had, a, he, he had a couple of close calls and didn't put it away. Obviously, still has a soft spot for Vancouver. He wasn't brewing much tonight. No. But 19 minutes to go after that, I genuinely did not think that they would hold on. And both teams had chances. Both teams had great chances in stoppage time that, that they could have won it. But when seven minutes went up for stoppage time, Steve, I, I asked Kava that. I asked MDS as well, and we'll, we'll play MDS shortly. What was going through your mind when you saw seven minutes? I was like, somebody on MLS New York is on the phone right now. That's what it felt like to me. Um, that, that's whenever I see like uh, an ex, when it doesn't seem like it. Look, I, I can't remember. Was there a water break in that second half? Maybe that's the reason why. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So that's the main reason why. But so if that's the case, there was, then that's there was fine. a lot of like uh, injuries. Yeah, minor things. So in that case, it's fine. It probably is understandable, but still, seven minutes it seems excessive. I don't. I've seen water breaks that don't last, like uh, cause a seven minute of extra time injury time. But but they held on, Zach. They saw it out, and like never mind coming away from a point and like stopping the losing run. To actually see out stoppage time as well is a huge mental boost for this team. I'm, I'm not being funny here, but like if they had conceded again stoppage time. I genuinely don't know what damage that would have done to their psyche. Yeah, I, I mean, they overcame the ghosts, Michael. Um, but, Which is yeah. how I referred to it during the week as well. Ex- so that was exercised the ghost. Mm-hmm. Um, but seriously, if Seattle had scored in there, how much do you think the pressure would have been exponentially like on MDS? Yeah. Like, you, like do you, I, I, the honest question: it, Is there an actual scenario where you see them? like firing him, him before his contract runs out? In, in all honesty, I thought if they lost against Seattle and they lose next week against Dallas, he would have gone either after the Dallas game or after the RSL game when the break was coming up. I, Despite what Axel said, I thought two more losses, seven straight defeats, I could have seen them pulling the trigger then. Hmm. Okay. Now, this is not to say that they still won't because... Yeah. I, I was digging into Robbo's firing and the interesting thing was he got fired after losing to Seattle and Dallas in back-to-back games. But in the previous three games, he'd taken seven points from those three games. He nope. lost two and got canned. So, I mean, MDS being on that run, I would have thought there was a good chance he, he might have gone. Yeah, yeah. Uh- what do you think? What do you think, Steve? Uh, I, 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 for me, the, back then they were looking for a reason to let Robbo go. Um, it wasn't yeah, really all the locker room stuff. I think the yeah. Right, so, so I, I don't think I don't. I think the, uh, it was just convenient for them that those two losses came and they came. What locker room stuff are you talking about, Michael? <laughs> you the Unity jersey. The I was fun. talking about the the Unity jersey. Remember, I was talking po- about all the post game stuff and the cliques. Yeah, yeah. I think. <laughs> I, I I've seen people comment about that again this week, and I think that there's a, a, a drastic misunderstanding of that. And I, I think we covered it at the time, but I think there was certain people who had that perspective of things. But I definitely do not think in the whole uh, 
the majority of that locker room, I don't think uh, shared the views that were shared at the end of the, of the season. And I think those views were shared for certain reasons. And um, yeah, I saw someone, I forget it was in response to one of your tweets, Michael, or someone else's that they, they made reference to kind of what you're talking about that I think are really uh, a portrait that some people in the Whitecaps FO really wanted to portray things as. And that's how it stuck with some people, even though it wasn't really true. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. When you get it out there, the first impression is what people usually latch on to nowadays especially in social media oh well yeah because it's like folk only remember the first tweet they see they don't remember an apology for example if a newspaper yep. does something and they print an yep. apology no one remembers the, that you remember well, the, the usually, first story usually the first story is big letters and everything and the, uh, the apology or retraction yeah. on the second third or third page hidden in the corner or something like that. <laughs> crossword clue three across yeah. mds was asked during the week if he felt he had lost the locker room and he was like you can't ask a coach that you need to ask the players that I feel I haven't and I feel that the, the players want to do well and he addressed that tonight and he said if this was a team that was lost you wouldn't have seen that kind of fighting performance tonight and I do agree with that this does seem a, a happier locker room they seem a united locker room and hopefully they can just go on and build a, a, from this now because it's two big games coming up Dallas is the only team below them in the Western Conference standings. RSL, yes, they're playing on their own turf, but they just went toe-to-toe -to -toe with them and should have come away from that one with a draw. If we don't get four points from these two games, at least I'll be kind of disappointed on the back of this. I want to mention about the, the whole losing the locker room thing. Just because you're losing games doesn't mean you, you the, the people in the locker room don't get along. Yeah, and it just and the opposite. If you're winning a lot of games, it doesn't mean again doesn't mean that your players get along. They could hate each other, and they could. There's been numerous teams in the past uh, in many sports that where teams the players did not get along in the locker room, but they kept winning games because uh, they had that chemistry on the yeah. on the field or a pitch or whatever. Yeah, on the I, ice. I I agree. I, I feel like that part of the the public conversation was definitely premature. Uh, I, I I don't I don't and I don't have the connections to the to the playing squad I I once did so that's not based on anything but up, like just observation from the outside but um, yeah I felt like that was yeah th that kind of conversation was premature and uh, like highly speculative or just highly based on what people see from other sports or other times or other teams or whatever um, I think I think you see a squad that is fighting for each other and fighting for their their coaches and fighting for their their club and their community uh i mean there are there are other questions to be asked i mean about about the dynamics within the squad and how maybe that uh in, influences or impacts their uh their performance and their connectivity and stuff like i still don't understand and i know he's been a part of some of the biggest positive moments of the season but he's definitely been some of the biggest negative moments in the season. And we didn't really talk about it from the RSL game, but he was at fault, I think for the third goal or second goal. I can't remember now, but I still don't understand why Andy Rose mm. continues to play such a significant role at center back for the, for this team. I, I really think, I, I think it's just because he has that experienced head to organize and marshal the defense. Yeah, but that's Godoy should be doing that. Godoy yeah. is much, just as much experienced than Andy. Yeah, and, but and he more, also doesn't more, speak a lot of English. Well, 
It's an international language. Yeah, I, I really, I really think that it, it should be Godoy with Ranko, who came on in this in the Seattle game, or even Godoy in in, in DC. And I know, I know, there's criticism for uh, maybe both those players, but especially Derek. Um, but to me, it's like you need to in in life, not just in sports. You need to like grow with some players right and if yeah. this is not a title they're not throwing away a title they're not throwing away whatever like I, I think this is a time where they need to say we believe you know like they paid money for like they pay money for Renko, right like yeah a lot i know i know not crazy i know not crazy money but it's the kind of thing where you need to say this is these are the players we see and you need to run with them for a while we know how much a, a players need a run in the side to really find their, their, their footing and really, uh, really take hold of their position and, and all that kind of stuff. And like, I really think they need to do that, whether it's Ranko or DC or whatever. I think one of them needs to be next to Godoy and have a run of games um, uh, to, to really take that next step and be what they can be. And they need to know that there's going to be some foibles, but they're getting foibles already with what they have. Okay. We're going to talk later about a number 10. Does anyone else, is there any other conversation about a center back? Well, I, I asked Axel, I said, I feel that we, we need an experienced veteran centre-back there. A guy that can marshal the defence, basically do what they're wanting Andy Rose to do, but has been there and done that as a centre-back. And I still would like that addition. If it's a yeah. guy that's done it in MLS, all the better. Especially if, if they don't feel like uh, Godoy is that person because that's what i thought he was he was well, no person, whoever yeah. it is would be to play with godoy because godoy yeah, is thought... the guy godoy is i think mark mentioned godoy is their number he's their number one center back yeah the thing is is uh, the rank when ranko was brought in zach was mentioning when ranko was brought in they really emphasized his leadership ability mm -hmm. uh they mentioned how he was the youngest captain on this team or something like that and the, the youngest captain in the league i can't remember exactly the wording they used but he was meant to be that leadership person, uh, uh, and that's why they brought him in. So, like, that's that's where I'm disappointed. And the thing is, a lot of people criticizing Derek Cornelius. I don't like his his mistakes are very minor. They're just like here and there. They're not, they're not they're not athletic mistakes. They're not mistakes where he's not paying attention. It's just like the ball has just missed him by a little bit. It's not like an effort. Like the criticism for. Like the thing is, Zach is hundred percent right. You, you need, center backs take time to grow, so you got to give them time. We've had Godoy missing for a whole year. We had uh, last year Ranko missing for a bit. Derek was missing with with Kanda. Um, so you got to let them grow and have this pick two and set. Like at this point, they're not. I, I personally don't feel they're making the playoffs at this point. I know there's a lot of games to go, but there's no. Like, even if you want to try to set it up for next year. You got to let them run right now. Andy Rose is not going to be here next year. He might be coaching in residency next year. Uh, so, like, he's not on the team. Let's go with uh, the, the pair you're going to go with for a long term and see if that, that's what helps you. Yeah, that's fair enough. Let's just hear a little bit now from Mark DeSantis after the, the match tonight. I, I say a little bit. He gave some really long answers tonight and, and broke down a, a lot of things. But, yeah, let, let's, let's just see what he had to say. Battling performance, really hard work and display. Can you talk a little bit about just your emotions coming out of that one? Is it 
a sense of relief to kind of stop the the slump it's been on. A bit frustrated that you maybe didn't come away with all three. My, Michael, I I'll tell I'll say this about you. Uh, I I think your comments are always extremely direct and fair, uh, and um, I agree with you. Uh, the 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 I think the the total organization of the team the the commitment of the team you know this week a lot of people uh, when people that I had to deal with the media I heard a lot about losing the locker room and things like that and it, a locker room that's lost doesn't answer like that you know uh, incredible commitment from the guys uh, but also if you take the first especially the first half I think there was spells of us on the ball, finding Baldi, switch. We were down, uh, we got down at the 48th minute, but we were playing a good game. So our speech here at halftime was of a lot of confidence, a lot of confidence, no need to yell, no need to go at the guys being extremely positive. We knew that we had to keep the game close uh, because if Seattle would have done the 2-0, it would have been much more difficult. Uh, and then, uh, I think that we came out with confidence. Uh, we got we got goals. Uh, it's normal at the end that they pushed us back, and then we had guys falling and being physically struggling with cramps. And maybe it's 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 a normal thing with uh, with the amount of games that we had. But uh, it's something to build on. It's something to move on. It's uh, I keep looking at the full picture of the playoff spot. We're four points away. Uh, so we have to take this game, grow. It was an environment that is extremely difficult against a very good team that fought a lot. Um, but then I have to be honest with you, the only place in the game that I, my heart started to beat a little bit more was in injury time. Uh, because when I saw those seven minutes going up and then the 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 just being very honest with you, the the ghosts of Real Salt Lake and the ghosts of LA Galaxy coming back to your head. And they were getting, we were getting low. Uh, we weren't able to come out and then it was survival. But one of the, the talks we had in the two days preparing for, for this game is we have to be a, a, a team that in these moments, we make the right place. You know, defending a throw and make the play, fight. If we need to bring everybody back, bring everybody back. Just make the place to get you uh, through the game. And I think tonight that's what we did. So did I believe in the win? Yes, absolutely. Especially when it was 2-1. Uh, am I happy with the point? I think every team that comes to Seattle uh, and gets a point, it's, it's a positive thing. The, the first half performance, it wasn't a bad performance and a lot of the metrics you outperformed Seattle in that first half. Again, no, no goal. If you could just bottle the magic that you seem to generate in the second half for the first half, obviously things would be different. But I know you've worked hard on it and trying to get to the bottom of it. Does it just boil down to a little bit of luck? They've, they've kind of taken the chances when they come along? A little bit of luck in some moments, a little bit of quality because some of the chances were very big. Uh, so I'll just give you two examples. Uh, the chance of Caio in the first half, the header, 
You remember that one? And the chants of Deber, they, these are two huge chants and the percentage of chance to score. Um, so it's a question of the player having the right quality in that moment. Uh, and that, what we have to do is, is work, uh, a lot of work during training, a lot of individual work, a lot of believe in those areas. Um, and that's it. You know, I think it, it comes down to that. Uh, then in the second half, we were able to to finish maybe chances that were more difficult. I think the chance of Dajo is a difficult angle to hit it like that on the turf one touch. Um, then the chance of Kava that he scores is maybe more difficult, uh, more uh, more difficult than the clay rider of Caio. Uh, you know so. Sometimes, you know, I hate talking about this in, 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 in soccer, uh, but um, the, the little factor of luck is also important, um, but it comes with work. The important thing now is to build on this point. There's two really big games coming up, Dallas, RSL, two very winnable games. The squad looks a little bit beat up. I know it's right after the game, but I mean, how how's things looking? Do, do you feel comfortable that going into these two games, you're going to have a pretty full squad? M Michael, I'll, I'd be concerned if the game is Wednesday, but the game, we, we're going to have time now to go back home, to rest guys, to do the right things in the recovery and training um, and to prepare uh, the game against Dallas with a lot of passion and commitment. Um, what what I understand the passion of of everybody that that likes and and loves the Whitecaps uh, to win 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 and get points, uh, but I'll tell you it's it's hard to play every game in the opponent stadiums with their fans. It, it's harder than than maybe you think. And I uh, when I say you, it's in general. Okay, it's. Uh, you feel a push towards them. I, I I just can't wait for football to to get back to normality. I just can't wait for that. Right now, it's a it's a part that is difficult uh, for us mentally. And you you mentioned the Salt Lake game. Um, Dallas is winnable, <laughs> man. In MLS before this game. Everybody probably would think that we would come here and not have the legs or the mentality to play Seattle, right? MLS is like that. Number one against the last one, last one against number one. It's every game, the only thing that matters is the 90 minute. Then we play in Dallas with their fans. And then we play the most ironical game that we've been playing since COVID. We played Portland home uh, last year. Uh, in Portland, home in Portland against Portland, and now we're playing Salt Lake home against Salt Lake. So, guys, the, the mindset of the guys are, are, has been really good, and they're trying to push. And again, if you go to to the last few games, uh, I repeat, the only game that we were blown away in the, the, the game that was played was in Kansas City. All the other game, all the other games, it was by little things, all little things. So that's what we reviewed in the, the two days leading to this game.
So that was Mark DeSantis there chatting uh, about the, the draw with Seattle, what you can take from it, what it means to the team and a few things like that as well. Now, we're not going to do our usual MLS roundup in this episode of the show because I want to have the second half of the show focusing on some CPL stuff. But I, I'm, I'm going to run over the results from Saturday because we are recording this, as I mentioned, on Saturday night. Um, so there's a, a slate of games on Sunday as well, which will be in the bank by the time that, that this comes out. But just looking at the Western Conference teams, Sporting Kansas City, 2-1, come from behind win against LAFC this afternoon. And I, one of the, the turning points of that was it was a sending off for for LAFC. I mean, they, they, they'd taken the lead in the first half, and then Blackman was sent off, and then Polito, building on, on, on Steve's criticism of him, scoring the 61st minute, Saloy got the winner three minutes from time. But uh, a little bit of a, an injury scare for for Polito. So we'll, we'll kind of see what happens there. Another game today, Salt Lake won, Houston won. Justin Glad taking the, the lead for Salt Lake in the 11th minute. Houston tied up in the second half through Maxi Uruti. San Jose 1, LA Galaxy 3 in the Cali Classico or whatever it is that they call it. But the, the big California derby anyway. And LA comfortable in this one. Chicharito in the 11th minute. Chicharito again in the 50th minute. An own goal 20 minutes from time. 3-0 to LA and then... Kyle pulled one by eight minutes to go for San Jose. And the last match on Saturday, 1-0 win for Minnesota. Second minute goal from who now got the, got the three points for Minnesota down at Picky Park in a game that had been pushed back a couple of times for kickoff-wise for the weather because I believe it's in the 40s down there at the moment, which, of course, it looks like we are possibly going to be hitting in the, the next couple of days as well. So, I mean, all those standings just now, with some games still to come on Sunday. Seattle, two-point lead at the top from Kansas City. Seattle still the only unbeaten team in MLS. LA Galaxy sitting third in Colorado, Minnesota, Houston, Portland make up the playoff places. Salt Lake just out of the playoff spots on 13 points. Then LAFC, San Jose, Austin, Vancouver and Dallas. So Vancouver on eight points after that draw tonight. Five points off Portland, who sit in the seventh and final playoff spots in the West. Games that are coming up on Sunday featuring Western teams. Austin at home to Columbus and Dallas at home in New England. Heading into that big basement bowl battle next weekend in Dallas. It's a, a Sunday game. Just to touch on the two Canadian teams quickly. Montreal, they drew 1-0 with Nashville. They were leading. Struna had put them ahead in the 63rd minute, but then talking about the Whitecaps giving up stoppage time goals. It was the same for Nashville. Dunlady, 94th minute, earned a point for Nashville. And Toronto lost 2-0 to Cincinnati. Losing to Cincinnati is bad enough. Losing 2-0 to Cincinnati. Cruz in the fourth minute, Acosta with a great goal, has to be said in the 68th minute. TFC and, in trouble, guys. Yeah, and Armis, uh, no, I wouldn't say a breakdown, but he uh, 
it was pretty bad in the post game. I saw oh, that. Oh, really? I haven't, I haven't seen that. It, it wasn't. It wasn't. It wasn't. I wouldn't say like he, he like 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 lost it or anything like that. But he was like very upset about the the squad about what's going on and and just is this not acceptable by anybody? I've never been in this position. I don't know what to do. I, like it was like just kind of rambling. You know how a manager would do that after all those losses, and especially losing to Cincinnati. I think he felt it too that losing to Cincinnati was a big deal. I've I've uh, just got the the quote sheet up. I'll let I'll let Zach give his thoughts on it, but I just have a quick look through the quote sheet here. I was surprised that he switched back to Bono again. Yeah, I was I was a little surprised at that, and I don't think that's going to help anything. Toronto has suffered in MLS from getting rid of coaches really quickly, which some of them they probably needed to, but they've also learned to like ride things out with a coach. Like I think Vandy didn't even start super, super well either. No, not, not this bad. I don't think, but still, no. um, but in MLS, I think you really, really need to give a coach time. And which is why I think some people are frustrated with MDS. They feel he's been given enough time, um, which is totally debatable, I think, but, the thing I the thing that makes me uncomfortable with with the Toronto coaching situation is how the how it's it's kind of like they didn't get who they wanted and so the guy in charge Ali Curtis brings in a like a like a former employee who it's like his guy who he can trust but I don't think he's a right fit for the club or the organization or the well, level you, they, you, you they talk about at. a coach that looks like he might have lost the locker room. He's certainly lost yeah. at least out of the world. You don't know yeah, what other ones. Yeah. And I, I was just reading the quote sheet there. He was asked about the fact you don't have your three DPs, and he just did not mention Altidore. He just talked about the the other two and talked them up and said how difficult it is when you don't have all three of your DPs on the field. But they've given up so many early goals. I mean, you're talking about the Whitecaps not scoring in the first half. Four minutes in. Yeah, TFC just keep giving goals up in the first 15 minutes of games. So yeah. it, it's a very testing time for him. I, I read the quote that you were talking about there, Steve, and he said he's uncomfortable. He's never been in a situation like this, but it all starts with him. But the players, none of them want to be losing just now. And they just, it, it's difficult for them because, again, they're they're playing not in their home country and they're playing in a very unfamiliar environment as well down there. It's like a lot of heat for them. So, I mean, that's another team that I'm sure can't wait to get back on Canadian soil and, and start to get, get playing. Yeah, but Toronto's not that cool at this point of the year either. No. Uh, it's yeah, a very hot team there too. Yeah. But that, that's our quick MLS roundup. I just want to finish talking about MLS and the Whitecaps by, by just talking about where the Whitecaps go from here. I'd, I'd kind of penciled this in to talk about and I thought it was possibly going to be on the back of another loss, but it's not. If they lose against Dallas, if they lose against RSL, this point for me means nothing. They're they're still back at square one. How how do we fix... Well, not us, because they don't let us pick the team, but how how does this team get fixed? Because... MDS, it feels, he's throwing a lot of things at the wall. Some of it's sticking, some of it's not. There, There's some things that that are puzzling. Like Owusu, he seems to do well when he comes on, but he's not getting starts. So if you're not going to play him, are you as well just maybe letting him go, free up a roster spot and an international spot? I, I think a midfield three of him, Baldissimo and Alejandri, would be possibly something that the Whitecaps need if you're going for that three-man midfield just now. 
I, they've been hit with all these injuries to defenders and to fullbacks. You've still got Ali Adnan that can't get into the country. So, I mean, there's been a lot going against the team. Is it just good that they're still clinging on with everything that's going against them? Or should should they be higher up the table right now? And how do you get them up the table with losing some players to the Gold Cup as well? well it's not confirmed which who's, who's going to the Gold no, Cup. No, not yet. And I, I've but... been trying to find out whether they're going to be here for both the Dallas and the RSL games. But it's, yeah. not, it's not clear yet either. It, it, it all depends. Like, for me... Um there is a combination of just bad luck with injuries. It's not even like the injuries are spread out in different parts of the feet, uh, pitch or whatever. Yeah, It's right in the same spot, it seems like, uh, both fullback sides. Well, one is not an injury. One's just, uh, you know, exile or whatever you want to call it. Uh, <laughs> but uh, the basically... It, the, I've never like, like I think there was normally typically it's center back where they get the injuries uh, in other years. This year it's fullback, so I'm just wondering in the future years do they need to like make sure they have like six seven center back uh, right fullbacks in order to make sure injuries. I, I just don't know what to do. Like obviously, you know, there's a certain number that we could say that would probably fix a lot of the issues in, in the midfield. Oh yeah, but that that that's the I don't, thing. I, if, I don't want to mention thinks... that number. I don't want to mention that number every every week. So well, we're, we're going to have to <laughs> Everyone we, we talks should... about bringing in that number. Yeah, we should do a different language every week. Yeah, number Zane. Oh yeah, Zane. Oh. I, yeah, I I can go with that. In Zane in the membrane. Ba, 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 da, ba, ba. But everyone thinks just bringing in this attacking midfielder is going to solve so many of the White Cats' problems. And it'll solve some of them, but it doesn't yeah. solve everything. It doesn't solve no. the defence switching off. It doesn't It doesn't mean just because you bring him in and he's creating that the strikers are going to finish their chances. So uh, there's going to be a lot on the shoulders of whoever comes in. Um, and of course, if you've been living under a rock, you may have missed this, but... I broke the story on Monday that the Whitecaps have an offer in for a, a number 10, a Scottish number 10, Ryan Gold. He's been plying his trade in Portugal, though, for the last couple of years. He's fluent in Portuguese. He's used to that kind of style of play, the kind of South American style of play. And he's coming off the best season of his, his life on a team that, that got relegated and we'll, we'll come to the importance of that in, in a sec. But he, he got nine goals, seven assists. He was involved in 52% of every goal that Ferenzi scored, either as a scorer or an assister. Um, he was named man of the match on nine occasions, the most of any player in the Portuguese league. He was named to the, the end-of-season all-league team. And he's... He's led the league in like key passes and lots of the good stats. And a lot of folk were like, I've never heard of him. Or if he's that good, why was he not with the Scottish team at the Euros? Well, that baffled us as well because Scottish fans have been crying out for him to get in the team. He hasn't even got a senior cap. He's been capped at under 21 and youth level, 
But Steve Clark was asked about him when he announced his squad and basically said, well, we've got other players that play in his position that I'm familiar with and they're the players that got us here. Yeah, they're not turning in those performances that he's been turning in week in, week out. So that was baffling. But he's a he's a player that can defend. He's got no problem with tracking back. He's no problem with going back, starting things. He can be box to box. He's mainly an attacking midfielder, but he can also play on the left midfield, even left wing. And he's been given quite a free role with Firenze. And he can kind of, like, he drifts out a lot to the left. If you look at his heat map, I tweeted that out today, a lot of his stuff comes up the left side, which I do feel is a weak point of the team just now with missing Ali Adnan. So, I mean, all that goes in in his favour. I was told that he's been offered a three-year deal at $3 million a year, which would be enough to outbid a number of the other teams that are interested in him. He's got interest from Portugal, he's got interest from Spain, England, Scotland. He's spoken before that he wants to go to a team, when his next move is up, he wants to go to a team where he's going to be a regular starter and he's going to be a contributor week in, week out. He wouldn't necessarily get that in the English Premiership, He's been linked with Celtic. He wouldn't necessarily get that there. The Whitecaps being prepared to to pay those wages, this is a player that they're clearly wanting to build the team around. Michael, does three million a year, does that equal 41,000 pounds a week? It does, yes. Okay. I just want to check. Yes, because that's been all over the UK papers as well. (laughs) Where did they get that from? They, they didn't mention it. I'm taking it they're just basing everything on my, my tweet, but of course they could be, be speaking to his agents and, and various people in, in Scotland as well. The stumbling block is Ryan Gold his, and his agents believe that he is a free agent from July 1st because he had a clause in his contract that Frenzy could have an option, but if they got relegated, the belief is that that option is null and void. The Frenzy president feels otherwise and was in Portuguese media on Friday saying, as far as he's concerned, he's their player. He's under contract for next season. Who's got a Camilo alarm ringing and a few <laughs> other other players as well? It so, could so get Michael- messy. <laughs> So, Michael, he did, in fact, sign the contract extension, but his side believes that it's null and void due to relegation, as is not yes. un- un- uncommon? Yes. Okay. Because it was... So, yeah. But the thing is... it holds what, up in court or whatever, I don't know, but Forenzi, because there's, there's said to be like 30-plus clubs interested in him. Right. There's been 30-plus inquiries, yeah. Yeah. But the thing is, is it like, was it written to the contract or was it like a handshake agreement that it was null and void if they got relegated? I would that's imagine it's in the contract because anything yeah. that's a handshake in this day and age, you, it's, it's not. It's not reliable. No, they're usually yeah. You, when you're, w- my understanding is maybe it's all clubs, but definitely clubs that are not like the top top teams have some kind of clause in a contract that talks about if the club were to get relegated, this is what it means. Whether you're allowed to move, your wages change. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's all kinds of different things yeah. that that it can trigger. Um, so well, Dario Zanata had that with Partick Thistle. Oh, and right. He got relegated when COVID hit, 
and he used that to get out of his contract to stay in the in the higher league. Right. Yeah. So it can work both ways. It can be advantageous for the club. It can be advantageous for the player. I mean, it's interesting to hear you talking about it because as a, one article I was reading about it, Michael it made it sound like Ryan's side uh, representatives or whatever were um, not willing to admit that he had signed such an extension. Um, so to hear that he to hear that where you're how you're painting it in terms of he signed it but he believes it's null and void due to the relegation uh, or due to a relegation. Well, that, that's what I was told. Now that doesn't necessarily mean that that is correct, but right. that yeah. I mean when, when I was first speaking to somebody about gold and the Whitecaps interested in him and whether he could be a fit here, I was told that his contract situation was complicated. Right. And then it was explained that this was what was meant by the complicated right. nature of it. I was going to ask you about that, if that's what this meant. So it it it's uh, because your conversations happened quite a while ago. This this complication, yeah. was, that, was that before? Months ago, I don't know if they had been relegated at that point. Right. Or if it was just after and they were still trying to sort everything out. But his representatives are very confident that he can move on from July 1st. Transfer windows July 7th. You'd obviously have to go through quarantine and stuff. But he, the Caps have a break until the 17th anyway, after the, the yeah. next two games. So lots of time to get it done if they can get this over the line. He's Michael, a good fit here, which is the main thing. Michael, do you feel if the, if the Whitecaps had to pay a fee on top of what they want to pay him per year, do you, would that... Would that barrier be uh, something that they could overcome, or you think that that's kind of a deal breaker? Well, he's valued in transfer market at five point five million. So Euros. If, if, Euros. Yeah, if that's the going rate that Frenzy are wanting, I would say that deal's dead in and, the water. And, and that's where I think uh, the Frenzy, uh, you know, the front office or the whoever's in charge there, the board, um, they're looking at that value and they're saying that they they're missing out on this. So I think they're going to try to put up a stink to try to get somebody to offer something. And quite so right, because, yeah. yeah. But the thing is, is if, if he doesn't go for free, I think he will get as much money in the salary then. Doesn't that affect the salary then? Um, if like people won't offer as much? Or, it can, uh, yeah. 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 I, it's, it wouldn't be a Whitecaps transfer situation without there being some kind of saga or something involved. Like this number 10... He's he's elusive. He's as elusive as the Loch Ness monster. But forget the Scottish Nessie. We're talking about the Scottish Messi because that is how he has been dubbed. It was more the mini Messi, and then it got changed to like Scottish Messi. Hardly anyone has really referred to him. It's just media hype. But yeah. Gold feels that his game it, it's not suitable for Scotland really. And he actually went back to Hebs on a loan spell in 2019 and he kind of struggled. He's more used to like flair players around him, not just like big punts up the field and like big bruisers trying to, to kick lumps out of you. Him, Caicedo, Dahomey, Cavallini, Alexandre behind, maybe throw yeah. Baldy in there. That, that's a tantalising little unit there. Yeah, and sprinkle a little white off the bench. Yes. You got that. And you still have to get the strikers to put those chances in the back of the net, as I said. But, but, but the it, thing it is, is... an exciting prospect. The thing is, is right now, because they don't have, you know, that perfect meld and everything like that, the strikers have to be perfect almost on every chance. They can't, like, miss, lose a chance. 
when you have somebody that can create chances, they create multiple chances. And that way, if a striker misses one chance, they help, they know they have another opportunity and they know they're not going to, they know they didn't miss their one chance. So they're not, don't get as down as if you know, like, cause, cause when you don't have that many chances and you miss one, you're going to think, Oh, I'm not going to get another one. That was my one chance to score a goal. Where now, when you have a guy like Gold and you're playing with Diber and Dahomey, the people know that they're going to have multiple opportunities to score. So if they miss one, there's another one coming up. Let's hear a little bit from MDS. He was asked uh, about the transfer rumours at media availability on Thursday. So obviously he's not going to be able to see whether the Caps are interested or not. But he did say that he's very aware of Ryan Gold. He rates him as a player. Here's what he thought about him. Ryan is a player that um, left-footed player with a lot of quality, good vision, could play as a number seven, number 11, number 10. Uh, a player with a great vision, great intensity, a lot of quality. I know him from not only his time at Sporting, but also his time at Ferenc. Had a fantastic season this past season. Uh, and that's who Ryan Gold is. Is that report from Michael? Is it accurate? Is that a player you expect to be a white cap in the near future? The the accurate is always announced. So you ask me about Ryan Gold. I told you with a lot of respect about his characteristics. Like you could ask me about Neymar. I'll also tell you about his characteristics. Reports I don't control. Uh, what comes out of places I don't control. I control talking about the quality of the players. Uh, again, Ryan has a great left foot, good set play, good intensity, could play as a 10-7-11, fantastic season last year. That's what I could tell you about, about Ryan. We know the player, yes. Uh, we followed the player, yes. But reports that come out, uh, it's totally out of our control. I, I Once somebody called me, to ask me if we were signing Chiellini, uh, and I don't know where that come from, you know. So reports are reports. Uh, I told you about what I know about the player, the qualities of the player, and that's what I could tell you right now. MDS there, just talking a little bit about the qualities that Ryan Gold brings, and whether they can get this done, whether it's another number 10 coming in, it's the missing piece. We've gone on about it ad nauseum for weeks, for months. They have to get this done. If you want to save this season, and I, I, I know I've just said this isn't the, the be-all and end-all and the ultimate cure to all the Whitecaps' woes, but it plays a big part in it. And add a couple of other pieces as well in this summer window, and you're looking at a competitive team. And yeah, they showed it, it tonight. I mean, they showed those sparks tonight what they can be when they're at their best. Even if it doesn't save this season, it could be a, like a Kendall Waston signing where uh, mm. where it's like maybe not for this season, but it can get the next season rolling uh, very quickly. And uh, and even if like and I'm not saying that he that there's no chance this year, but um, but the the fact that if he gets something going and everybody comes back, Diver comes back, maybe Dahomey comes back and Cavallini comes back next year, they at least have a half a season to kind of get to know each other, get that chemistry rolling, and maybe next year when the season starts, they, they fix the, everything on the back end, and they can get rolling right away, and from their home pitch as well. Yeah, 
have to hope so. Yeah. That that's pretty much it for our, our Whitecaps chat for this show and our MLS chat as well. But we're gonna turn our attention to the Canadian Premier League now. They're back this weekend. First two games were played today on Saturday, a couple more on Sunday. We'll be back chatting about that after this. Hi, I'm Lucas Cavallini. You're listening to the AFD Soccer Show. Shooting the truth from the south cannon. Blam, blam. Come rewind below, do it again. Reality slap right in your face. Blam, blam. These dirty white sneakers gotta walk all over them. Shooting the truth from the south cannon. Blam, blam. Come rewind below, do it again Reality slap right in your face, blam blam These dirty white sneakers gotta walk all over them Forgotten golden methods refined by the corrupted leaders Propaganda tweaks for the people, force feed them By order all the murderer, right with them, kill the heathen Twist the justice warriors are cutting for the witches bleed them They never let them be front or enemy Hot shot of battle, death, rattle, endless agony Butcher the cattle, dark side of inhumanity You rant about pieces, just a twisted type of parody Age of discovery, the fine age of rape and peeling Time passed, war the just Upon the village Defeating all the bleeding world is far from finished They end up suffering the price of the privilege They hide the lies, staying true to the deceiver's creed Veterans of mass extermination marching on the streets Certified seekers of the speck in the brother's eyes Now coming back to bleeding home is built on blind lies the truth from the south cannon Blam, blam Come rewind below, do it again Reality slap right in your face Blam, blam These dirty white seekers gotta walk along Welcome back to the AFT and Soccer Show on CITR Radio, 101.9 FM. And kicking off this part, it's the last song from our Artists of the Month for June, Moscow Death Brigade. That's a song from their latest album, Bad Accent Anthems. That was Dirty White Sneakers. Might have played that song uh, a few months back when it was first released, but it's a, it's a good one nonetheless. So I hope you've enjoyed Moscow Death Brigade. You can check out all the stuff. Check out their Instagram page. Also, fireandflames.com is where you can buy all their stuff. We'll be back next week with a new Artist of the Month, and it's going to have a Scottish flair to it. Of course it is. But let's turn our attention to Canada in this part and the Canadian Premier League got underway today guys two matches kicked off with Alan Koch's FC Edmonton going down to a late 1-0 loss to Ben McKendry's Atletico Ottawa and then the second match of the afternoon Matteo Polizzi's Pacific FC going on to win 2-0 against Marcello Polizzi's Halifax Wanderers FC with a goal from Marco Bustos kicking things off it's the Volkswagen Cup it was the, the coast-to-coast derby, I don't know what they want to call it. I, I don't think you probably saw any of the, the game, Steve, but I know Zach was watching avidly. But what did you make of the action? It, it, the, the coaches in the build-up to this have pretty much all spoken about they're really treating this as a, a pre-season tournament. Just to, yeah, just to, they have to kind really... of, yeah it, it, it's going to take some time to get everybody used to it. Obviously, there is... I think some weather delays in there too. Yeah. That did, did well, you've, help you've got Atletico Ottawa that's been away in Spain on pre-season training. Yeah. And then you've got Halifax Wanderers that's not been able to train at all and Edmonton that's not been able to train much and then Pacific FC that have trained quite a bit. So it's a definite sort of mishmash of teams, Zach. Yeah, it's probably not 
good for the marketing of things in, in terms of talking about it that way. But regardless, I didn't get to see much of the Edmonton Ottawa game, but obviously not surprised by the result. Um, but uh, I got to see the Pacific win of the of the uh, Volkswagen Derby, um, and yeah, I was really impressed. Uh, I you know I know that the training situations have been different, but uh, I think this is a win that Pamuduka and Pacific FC will be extremely happy with it was like a workmanlike very professional performance really really quality goals the first one quality build up and finish the second one not quality build up because it was kind of a uh, not a great clearance or whatever but a great shot um from distance and uh yeah really really happy obviously we love to see marco busta score goals um and it's yeah it was just it was like classic boosty today yeah, he said he feels he's in the best form of his life and he's really wanting to, to shine this season. So, I mean, all the best to him. He's basically, it seems like he's the face of CPL right now. Yeah, they so it was, it was a lot. And, and they had a, a pregame feature on it too. Uh, that, uh, you know, it was an extended feature as well and showed all of his, uh, you know, all the, all the things he's done in the past and going future. So, they're really like hyping up, and it's great that he scored the goal too to open it up. So yeah, he's kind of living up to it as well. And yeah, nice the re- little touch as well with holding up Victor Blasco's jersey. Who yeah. over in Spain just now, his, his father had sadly passed away before this tournament started. So that that was a nice touch. And like Pa talked afterwards, and we'll play a little bit of audio soon from Pa. This is a really close knit team, and he feels it's in the top five, easily in the top five of all the clubs that he's played for, from top to bottom, just how this, this club operates. And he's played for a lot of clubs. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the, 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 the feature, Steve, really did expose people to his talent. It certainly did. Well, I mentioned Pa there. Let's just play a little bit of audio from Pa. I, I'm going to play some post-game audio, first of all, which is just me asking him a couple of questions after the match. But then I'm going to add in at the end, I wasn't able to get on his pre-game call where he was talking a little bit about the season and building the squad and stuff like that. So I've just thrown those questions in at the end as well. Here's Pacific FC's Pamaduka. Ten months off the pitch, it's been a long time away. What what's the last ten months been like for you? What's been your key focus in trying to get this team to the next level? And did we see signs of that today? Well, first of all, that's what I said. Like it was nine months and eleven days, exact to the last uh, game that we played. It was fifteenth of September, and from that moment, you know, we got a little taste. We made it to the second round, which was uh, which was also the uh, goal. You know, it's trusting the process that we begin. Trusting the process is like you don't see results overnight, you know, and when you face adversity, how are people? And this group, like uh, like I said, is a tight-knit group. You know, their focus is fantastic and they know what they want to achieve, you know, as a coach uh, and the technical staff we have, you know, it is our duty to push them, but also challenge them and which they do to us again also. So that creates a healthy healthy environment and growth environment, you know. So this group, uh, they're so focused and they have a goal that they want to achieve and just every single day, you know. And being the head coach and be able to come to work with them, you know, I cannot thank them enough because it's very easy to give up given the unprecedented times that we are in where lives are lost and uh, people are struggling. 
for us to be able to just kick a ball and and be happy you know that that's something that we cannot take for granted you know we cannot take it for granted in the like in this life that we're living right now with uh, with everything uh, around us you know so these boys truly love what they do and they love coming to work so it's all credit to them so i cannot thank them enough last season it, it was a good performance from the team it, it was a tournament it was a short season what are you hoping to to see to take this team to say the championship game this year how much focus are you putting into the attack? How much in the defence? How much better do you feel this squad is this year to last year? I would say this year we have a depth. Right? We have a depth of players that can come and uh, do a job. You know, it makes man of mentality. And the biggest thing for me is that the group understand that what their capabilities are, what they can do. So And they're realising it and they're doing it every single day. And that's what, as a coach, that's what you hope for. That's why uh, we started uh, last year, trust the process, because everything is a process. You know? We all know the outcome, just like any, just like all the other seven other teams. They all want to win. But for us, we focus on, on ourselves. We focus on how we're going to get better, how we want to play. That's all we got to focus on. When we keep doing the day in, day out, the rest will take care of itself. So just your thoughts on what you learned last year in the bubble in PEI and what you can apply uh, to this year's bubble in Winnipeg. I mean, obviously, you know, nobody expected um, a bubble, but again, it is uh, it is what it is, and that's what we need to do to help this uh, country and this football grow. And it's not on the CPL; it's a government thing. You know, it's more on the government that uh, that they, that allowed that didn't allow these restrictions. So for us, last year was a tournament. This year is going to be a regular season, but the first eight games we're going to play it here. So you want to come in. Uh, with a mindset of trying to win as much as games you can, you know, just to just to put yourself in a good uh, head start of the season. Who's impressed you in camp? Uh, uh, any surprises that have really sort of shone? I wouldn't say there's any surprises. I mean, we have a depth uh, this year that we didn't possess last year, and uh, we added. We have uh, continued our continuity with the players that we had from last year, and added players that we believe will strengthen the group. So overall. Um, as a technical staff, I'm very satisfied with where we are with the, with the group. So we're all looking forward to everybody, you know, um, getting their chances and staking their claim in the first 11. You have um, kept a good uh, core from last year, like players like uh, Taryn Campbell, Caden Chung, um, Marco Bustos. But what you've also done is you've got a lot of new exciting players like Oli Bassett, um, Giovanni Dos Santos, um, Polisi and Aparicio. So I want to ask you, how do you think these new signs are going to help shape your team and make your team more dangerous? Like I said, continuity is very important. And then you look to add the quality amongst the players that are already here. You know, and it's, uh, when you have uh, better players, obviously that also raises the standard of the rest of the group. And the new players have been great. Uh, Manu is one of the best midfielders in this league, you know, um, captain for York uh, two years. And um, coming in here, we know what he possesses. And seeing him in the island game, I was very impressed with his uh, winning mentality, but also as his character, you know. And now uh, with Oli Bassett, uh, he's a player that has um, gone through the academy of uh, Aston Villa and uh, Southampton, who, who in our system and philosophy, he, he shoots as well. And then we have Matteo Policy, who's uh, also 
we know since since he's been in the Whitecaps residency. So overall, we we have brought in players that we do believe in will help and uh, help us achieve what we're looking to achieve this year. You know, spoke about the continuity, and yes, you've you've brought some. Uh... Some new boys into the squad to uh, ameliorate the roster. How you know? It seems like the squad has had a, a sort of a, a they're a tight knit unit, um, and the camaraderie in the room is very strong. How have the new boys folded into that? How, how have they sort of uh, um, intermeshed with the with the with the returning players? I mean, all the new signings that we have has integrated very well, and uh, that was one of the big um, main steam forces. Always, so we look at the people we just don't look at players right we look at the people how like how is he as a person how would he gel well with all the players and these players that are coming up in fantastic they brought in life it's crazy just to watch sometimes the bond that they have and then you see a Gianni and uh, Oli Bassett you know uh, they're like they're like they're two brothers and they've just been together for a couple of weeks you know Manu knows some of these players uh, through the youth system you know, in TFC, but everybody is just, everybody just love being together, you know, and that just uh, speak the strength of uh, the group being, being human, being first, rather than just focusing on themselves as players, you know, we focus on who we are as a group. Oh, this is my island, oh, this is my island, from the port on east right through the mid So Pacific FC's Pamadou Car there, just chatting about the game and the, the season to come. We'll talk a bit about what that season is going to look like shortly. Now, something unfortunate happened during that, that Pacific Halifax game today. In the first half, Halifax Wanderers head coach Stephen Hart was carried off on a stretcher. The good news, the update is it was for precautionary measures. He's undergoing tests. He's feeling well. They're saying he's doing good and everything is is okay. I'm sure we'll get a further update soon. But it was it was a worrying moment, especially when it comes on the after like what happened with Ericsson at the the Euros and it's just been really hot out there and with COVID and everything. So we wish Stephen all the very best. I've said before how much I, I enjoy speaking to Stephen Hart the last couple of years. It's been great catching up with him. So he, he's hoping to be back in the dugout soon. And the the players, none of the Halifax players wanted to speak after the game. They just wanted to get back to the hotel to see how he was doing. And their assistant coach spoke about it really rattled them. And it kind of... At half time, they were told that it looked like Stephen was okay, but he felt it did affect him a little bit in in that second half. So we wish Stephen all the very best from all of us here at AFTN. But I'm actually going to bring you a little bit of audio just now from from Stephen Hart. I got a chance to jump on a, a call with him on Thursday. It was bright and early before work, so I was managed to get on that call and just asked him a couple of questions about the season. And you can hear as well from Jonathan Briggins and from Adam from the Young Gaffers as well. Just asking Stephen Hart about what this Halifax team is going to look like this year. Here's what he had to tell us. Hey Stephen, good to, to see you again. 
can you just maybe talk a little bit about what the last 10 months has been like for you? Because it's been a long time since you were on the pitch. What's been your main focus in that time? Just what what's it been like putting the squad together? Um, it, well, to, to say it was to say it was a new experience is is, is uh, stretching it really. I mean, you know, it it was a different experience. Um, we tried to to take our time. Uh, you know, we what what we thought this the squad needed against, of course, what is available to us. Uh, the right, the right. Uh, does it fit our our salary structure, etc.? And try to build a squad off of that. Um, you know, just looking at at player types that will give us a, a different type of look, um, a little different type of depth. And of course, we needed to get some some under twenty one uh, players. Um, so all of that. I mean, it didn't it didn't take ten months to be honest, but I mean, all of that went into the thinking. I mean, obviously, you're you're eager to get back onto the pitch, and you're, you're building on a a great season last year, getting to the championship game. What can people expect from your side this year? Well, if you look at last year, it was really a tournament, and 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 tournaments are, you know, they're you you get off to a good start. You you more or less will get yourself into the into the final four, and then you could take it from there. But um, you know, so it was it was what it was short ten games really. Um, this is going to be a little bit different. This is basically the start of the league, and and we're we're all hoping that it it, it goes on into August, September, October, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So it's it's going to be a marathon, but the. the the, the difficulty with the with the eight games is the the cram the, the, the time the short space of time into it um, as to what you can expect from the team uh, as I said it's it's a little difficult to to tell I have everybody you know seem to look like they are getting towards uh, proper fitness um, we have the majority of the players back so there's some some good understanding among the players. Uh, I would even even say a better understanding uh, among the players. So it it will take some tweaking and it'll take a bit of time. But we intend to use this this month here to sort of get our rhythm uh, and our match fitness together. Now that this is a, a, a kind of a a second year with this core group and a bunch of new players, um, like how, how important is that in terms of? Um, going through a tournament structure like this again with the condensed schedule and then moving on to newer things like what what sort of things from uh, last season are you hoping to build off of uh, with the club this year well I'm, I'm 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 looking at this part of it as as almost like a, a, a preseason um we're we're going to approach it that way uh because you're going to we're going to be in a situation that's very much like a tournament situation in terms of what, there's one home team and everybody else is, is away from home, but we're not traveling, right? We, we make one trip and that's it. So I'm, you know, I'm going to approach this as if it's a preseason, um, you know, take, take the time to, to get some of our working relationships back together under a competitive uh, environment. And then, you know, we, we, we're going to have to also... Uh, be moving into a situation where we hope we could be we could be traveling 
and that that gives us a different dynamic. So for this part of it, um, it's just about trying to get the team to come together, um, get some understanding of of what we need to do in different situations and get a feel for all the teams that we'll be playing, which are basically the teams from the West. I know you, you mentioned some players kind of just joining the team recently. So I want to ask you about Polisi, uh, Marcelo Polisi and kind of what you've seen out of him so far in training and um, why he was kind of a priority player to add to the, the squad here. Well, I haven't seen him in training. He only joined us this morning, so I have not seen him at all. Um, but I've been actually watching him for two years, games he's been playing. Um, I, I like a little bit of, of, of what he brings. He brings something different to the, to the midfield. And it's going to be a matter of, you know, just a little matter of time for him to, to get to know his teammates and fit in. But uh, he's, he's a... Uh, a traditional sort of holding midfielder um, that sh that could give us a little a little bit of uh, a little bit more balance uh, in the midfield and under different look should it be necessary. Interesting to hear your reflections on the tournament, and obviously you had a lot more time than I'm sure you would have necessarily liked to reflect on just the ten game slate. Having said that, do you think the Halifax Wanderers we saw last year in the bubble? is an accurate representation of what we can expect from you this entire season? Or were you really just geared for this really short tournament and trying to maximize what you were going to get in a short window? Yeah, I think uh, we, 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 we played in, in what I would call a tournament format. And all of that is now out of the window. It's a new season, new, everything is new in terms of new levels of fitness, um, you know, uh, different preparation altogether. The last time around you had, everybody was more or less on equal footing. And now you have teams that are, that are better prepared than, than other teams, um, just because of the, the nature of, of what, what happened across the country. Um, so everything is new. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, this is going to be, as I said, uh, a longer stretch, a longer um, period of, of moving towards uh, league play into a playoff. And uh, as, a, you know, at the risk of repeating myself, we're going to use this more as a, as a preseason to sort of find the, the, the team coordination, the team unity, the relationships that is necessary for the long haul. Halifax Wanderer Stephen Hart there, just chatting about his team. Hopefully we'll see him back in the, the dugout soon. Just take it easy, rest up, and we'll, we'll see it pitch side again very soon. So the other game that was played today was featuring FC Edmonton. They went down to a 1-0 loss to Atletico Ottawa. Uh, it was a good goal that won it for Ottawa. I mean, Edmonton did well in, in the game. I mean, Edmonton last year... They showed signs of being a good team, but they struggled to put the ball in the net. 
only got the one game so far and they haven't scored yet, but they created a lot of chances today. They certainly had chances to, to go up. Alan Koch has taken over the reins from Jeff Paulus and he, he's put together quite an exciting team. A lot of players that, that we know here at AFTN. And I, I got a chance to catch up with Alan after that, that game uh, against Ottawa just to, to chat about that first game, the season to come, what he's building there and a few other things as well. So let's hear now from Alan Koch. And we call this land South Africa The Cape of Hope to the Northern Star But the hope and peace will never be apart So delighted to be joined by our good friend Alan Koch in situ in Winnipeg at the moment for the Canadian Premier League kickoff that did in fact kick off his team FC Edmonton, the, the first side that started the 2021 campaign. Welcome back to the show, Alan. Thanks, Michael. I appreciate it. Always good to, to catch up with you. And the last time we, we spoke was just you had taken the job down in, in Colorado Springs. You were talking about the, the excitement of that. I followed your progress for, for what was obviously a very strange season during the pandemic. I mean, what what happened there? What made you decide to to come back to Canada and leave Colorado Springs? Yeah, we we were actually really enjoying ourselves down in Colorado. It's a beautiful part of this continent, and I was enjoying the project with the team, and we felt like we made a lot of progress in the season I was there. I, I inherited the team that finished 18th in the Western Conference the year before, uh, and we finished, and it was a very convoluted type of COVID season, but we yeah. we finished with the 13th most points uh, in the Western Conference. So we felt like we made a lot of gains in that first year and kind of set the, the platform for the club to move into the new stadium, which they've moved into now. And uh, I give Brendan Burke, who took over for me, a lot of credit. He's, he's really continued that work that we started last year, and it's exciting to see them uh, win a few games in the last few weeks. But we had a bit of a tough last year, as many, many people have had all over the world. My my wife's brother passed away oh. uh, near the beginning of the year back in Vancouver. Uh, she was able, thank goodness, to come back for the funeral. Uh, I wasn't able to, and then she just got back into the States before the border closed. Wow. Um, so we were, we were stuck in the U.S. All of our family are, are mostly in Canada. Obviously, we have some of my family still in South Africa. Um, and it was just very difficult. And so we didn't really contemplate coming back. But when we came back at the end of the year, we went back to my house in Vancouver. And literally within two days of being back doing our 14-day quarantine, we just knew that we we knew we wanted to be back in Canada. We knew we didn't want to be away from family at this time. Uh, and really just decided, as we always should do, but it's hard to do in this business, we really prioritize family. And so let's go, let's go back to Canada. And it happened very, very quickly, shortly thereafter, Edmonton. Uh, we started having conversations and discussions and things rolled very, very quickly and I'm incredibly grateful for the opportunity to, to lead this club now. Uh, yeah, I mean, first of all, my, my condolences to yourself and to Amy. It's obviously a, a tough time and then pandemic. I, I totally know what you mean about being separated from family. I've not been able to get back to, to Scotland to see my mum and dad and right now, not really sure when I will, but yeah. I mean... When we spoke last, I, I said to you, I thought you might end up in the, the CPL. And you said, well, never say never. And here you are with, with FC Edmonton. 
it's a, a team that's had some, some highs in the, the first two years in the league, but it's it's had a, a tough run at it. You've had to obviously sort of build the squad. When I spoke to Jeff Paulus towards the end of the, the Island Games, I'd, I'd said to him that it felt like this was a team that had a really good core. It was a really good base. It just it was maybe the goal scoring that, that let it down. What's it been like building this squad up and how difficult has it been with, with the pandemic on? Yeah, it's been very difficult to be quite frank because I inherited the... Well, I took this job at the end of last year, very close towards the end of the year, and then tried to do as much as we could in the off-season to retain and recruit and build. And then we had plans to start somewhat of a regular pre-season, hoping that things were going to start to open up with the pandemic, and all of these different waves keep hitting us all over the place. Yeah. Um, so uh, we had to go through a very fragmented pre-season. I wouldn't even call it a pre-season. I'd, I'd call it just a... A progression because we we started individual training, then we went into smaller groups, bigger groups, and then thank goodness. Uh, and I give Eric Nundorf, our president, a lot of credit. He, he worked with Alberta Health to get us approved, um, so we could actually start training about two months ago. So we we've, we've been able to train, which is a huge positive, uh, but we haven't been able to play any games, um, and that obviously is a, a major challenge in preseason. And that's why I, I wouldn't even call it a preseason. I would say we're in preseason now. Uh, unfortunately, we're playing for three points in preseason. Mm. Yeah, that, that that was something I was going to come to later. But I mean, I'll, I'll come to that now because I've not been able to get on a lot of the calls in the build-up to this tournament just because of work. But I, I've been listening to what a lot of the coaches have said, and so many of them are basically just saying that these eight games is basically like a preseason. But as you say, it's different because you've actually got important points at stake and. A team that gets off to a bad start loses these points early. You're playing catch up right away. I mean, do you feel? I mean, so like some of the teams, like yourself, at least you've got on the pitch. Ottawa, your opponents yesterday, they've been off to Spain and doing stuff. Pacific FC played a game against the Whitecaps, but then you've got other teams that haven't hit the pitch at all. I mean, from talking to the other coaches, do you feel? that it's kind of a level playing field just now or do you feel that some teams definitely have an advantage? Uh, it's, it's definitely not a level playing field right now to, to go to any country and have two months of training and playing games yeah. uh, is fantastic preparation and, and no other team had that um, and then obviously Pacific were, were able to play the white caps and I get Paul and his club a lot of credit they, they maximised what they could do in BC um but no, it's definitely not a level playing field. But that's part of what we're in. We're we're in a, a pandemic still. This, it's not over, and we all have to deal with different variables. So there's there's no fingers pointed anybody. There's no animosity. It's just the reality of the situation. Uh, and you can see it. The, the games this weekend really have echoed a lot of things. You can see yeah. teams are very fatigued. They, they fatigue quickly. Other teams are, are not fit. And, and then there are a couple of teams that have the ability to play for longer sustained periods of intensity. Um, and you can see our team, we try to make some changes in our first game, but we, we hit a bit of a wall. And it's not really a surprise that we conceded late in the game. Uh, I think that's an unfortunate byproduct of not being match fit just yet. 
Yeah, and I mean, from watching the games, there's there's been a couple of injuries so far. There's been a lot of cramping, and some teams certainly are, are tiring late on. I mean, we'll, we'll come to your game against Ottawa shortly. The, the roster that you have built, do you feel it's the finished article just now, or do you have a little bit of wiggle room to maybe make a few more additions? Yeah, it's definitely never the finished article because you're always trying to build and improve. Obviously, being in a salary cap league with lots of restrictions on roster, there's yeah. there'll, come a, there'll come a point every season where that's it for the season. Uh, but we're not finished. We're trying to add one more player uh, right now, and hopefully we can get that done soon. We also have Thomas Geraldo, who's on loan with us from Montreal, but he's not in the bubble yet. Uh, he's, he's rehabbing injuries, so hopefully he can join us at some stage too. So oh, we're missing one or two players, but I'm sure everybody's missing a few players at this stage. Um, and we're just going to gonna try and improve the group, but also maximize the group that we have. And I think I've said this every place I've been on this journey, that the first year is a building phase. It has to be. You, the reason you, you take jobs uh, is because things need to be adjusted and that's that's why I'm here and I love building and this is just the first step uh, there's still a lot of work to be done yeah it certainly feels like the the ideal club I think for you to to be at at, at this stage and the way that the season started it was announced quite late on I know from speaking to some of the players they didn't really have an idea up to a couple of weeks before as to what was happening which obviously makes things difficult building as well and then you lost a couple of players in the build-up to to this kicking off chance carter retired and i, I guess the the big one raul tito mutually parted ways just because of all the issues we were getting into the country and, and quarantine i mean how big a loss are those two but especially tito uh tito's a big loss um well the cup tried to get him here last year wasn't able to do it because of covid this year we tried to get him here and uh, just weren't able to get him here because of work visa challenges. And yeah. there's lots of the clubs in this league that have gone through the same thing. And obviously, uh, because of the pandemic, uh, movement across countries is not as easy now as it normally would be. Um, so, unfortunately, we're not going to get to see Raul. And obviously, we wish him well in the rest of his career. But uh, we, we've had to move on and see what we can do with our with our current group. Chance is completely different. Chance's retirement is injury-based. and ah. people, I've had people reach out and say different questions about different things, but this is a young guy who's tried to persevere. He's tried to push on. He's tried to do everything he could to try to give himself the best chance possible to play. And He's just got to a stage where it's just too difficult. And uh, my, heart, my heart bleeds from him because he's too young to, to retire, but Unfortunately, that's uh, what's presented him, and he's a smart, he's a smart kid. Uh, he's got other aspirations too, and uh, I think, like we said publicly as a club, we we wish him well now as he moves forward, and uh, we'll support him in whatever way we can do. Yeah, it's a shame to hear that because I, I watched him here in the Whitecaps residency, and he's certainly a talent. And then when he signed for Edmonton, I was I was delighted for him. I mean, there's a couple of guys that we know quite well on on your roster. One of them. Tommy Gardner, who I've known him for years, watched him for years, called his games at UBC. It's great to finally see him in this league. Getting the start yesterday against Ottawa was great too. What have you seen from Tommy in in training and the build-up to this, and how big a player do you feel he could be for you this year? Well, firstly, I have absolute confidence in the kids because 
I think I played him. I can't even remember how old he was. Was he 17 or so? Yes, I played him 17, in the US Open. Yeah. So, um, and now he's a few years older, a few years wiser, a little smarter. Uh, I think it's taken a little bit of time to acclimate back into the professional game. It's obviously a quicker speed uh, and a higher level of football than playing the university game. But uh, he's, a, he's a top player. He's, he's fantastic at getting on the ball. His movement's great. Uh, and we've enjoyed having him here. So hopefully we can maximize him in this environment and hopefully he can have some success here on the bubble. And is the plan right now that he's going to be going back to, to UBC or do you see him probably like hanging around for the whole season? Yeah, th- th- these are the conversations that, thank goodness I have a great relationship with Mike Mosher, obviously, from our SFU UBC days. Uh, and we're just in constant communication. We're, we're talking all the time and keeping him posted and he's asking questions and I think that's something that's very fluid. Uh, not just for Tommy, but I think for all the players. I think the players need to figure out what's best for them and I think that's the beauty of this relationship it allows you to keep things open uh, but obviously there'll be a time where we'll have to make a decision if he's going to stick around for the rest of the year or go back to university I wanted to ask you about the, the other draft pick you had Jackson Farmer did things not work out with Jackson because I noticed he wasn't on the roster yeah Jackson came in he trained with us he did very well to be quite frank and unfortunately we're we're dealing with some I'd say interesting uh, salary mechanisms. Ah. Obviously, we have to balance that, obviously. And I think Jackson can play in this league. Uh, I thought he did well with us. Uh, but you've obviously only got a certain number of players you can carry. You have certain contracts. And uh, we, we decided that we would sign a, another player instead of giving him the opportunity. Uh, that's fair enough. I mean, for the rest of your squad then, who should people be watching out for this year who's really kind of excited you from what you've seen so far um, I've enjoyed working with all these guys to be honest Mike it's it's a good group they're an exciting group they're motivated they're hungry uh, I, I've said this to several of the players that are stayed here and several of the Edmontonians like I, I think in football sometimes change to change for change to happen you, you have to leave and for sometimes change comes to you uh, and I think for some of the guys that were here, the changes we're making can hopefully kickstart their careers. Um, and then we've also brought some other guys in too. So I think it's a bit of a hybrid, like the, the Eastern Garros, the Connor James, the Amir Didiches. Uh, they're all good local Edmontonians. Uh, but then we've also brought in Fraser, who I'd worked with before, uh, who can do well. And we've got a couple of good foreign players too. Uh, Tobias Wachuski, Charlie Mabusi, Genoa Sua. Uh, I'm sure I'm missing several players uh, that I probably should be highlighting, but there's a lot of guys with talent. They're all, I don't think many players in our group have peaked yet. Um, they're still young enough that we can continue to push them and hopefully get more out of them and elevate their careers. But we also then have a couple experienced players, and Ramon Soria has been very good for us in the environment, and Tanti Gorski, uh, who came and joined us from the USO, too, gives us leadership and a little bit more experience at the same time. So you, you kicked things off yesterday. I uh, went 1-0 down to Ottawa, late goal given up, but a, a great performance and a better team for, for a lot of the game. You certainly ha- had your chances to to go ahead, to, to possibly win the match. I I watched your post-game stuff afterwards and you, you kind of noted that 
just the difference in maybe how ready the groups were and stuff like that. How, how did you see yesterday's game? For me, certainly a lot of positives to take from game one. Yeah, I was proud. I was proud of the group. We've we've only been working for a little while, but we haven't played a game. So we had we literally had no idea how players would respond to match type situations. Um, so I was proud of the group. They they fought for each other. They worked hard. I thought we played some good football. Uh, I thought we created chances. Uh, and on a better day, we could have taken a few of those chances and won the game. Um, but we got through it. Uh, we had a team meeting this morning, and we we discussed we're up and running now. We're we're in the fight. We're not preparing for the fight. Um, so it feels good from that perspective. But we're disappointed we didn't get something out of the game. We we thought we should get something. Uh, but football is not always fair, as we all know. Eh? Yeah, very, very much so. I mean, a lot of the guys on the team, they're going to have gone through bubble life last year at, at the Island Games and PEI. For you, this is a whole new experience. I, I know from listening to Rob Gale, he's not been overly happy with, with some of the restrictions on, on his team, but I've known Rob for a long time and Rob's not happy a lot of time about, about things, but how have you found things so far? It's interesting. Um, maybe maybe I can try to be a little bit more tactful than Rob, but maybe I shouldn't be. <laughs> uh, um, you know what? It is what it is. I, I think we all appreciate the opportunity to, to be back working. Um, we're, we're doing what we love. Uh, the hotel is fine. The people here in the hotel are very, very accommodating. They're they're all working their backsides off to take care of all the players and the staff. The food has been good. Uh, the restrictions are a challenge. I think yeah. that's a big challenge for everybody. It's you look at the rest of the world uh, is not uh, living or operating like this in football. Yeah, that's that that's the challenge. Uh, I think it's not. I don't think anybody should see any comments that anybody makes as being negative to what we're enduring here. But football is a global sport. And when you see how people are doing things in other parts of the world, uh, that's frustrating. You, you turn your TV on and you watch a European, European Championship game and you see some stadiums that are full. Um, so we would love to be playing in front of supporters and, and hopefully we'll get to that day soon. I, I know everything is a work in progress, but the sooner we can play in front of fans, the, the better it is. Yeah, that brings me nicely. I, I just got a last couple of things to ask you, and one of them was about that. Like getting back to Edmonton. Obviously, you've not had a chance to to play a game in your home city yet. Ottawa, that's their second year in the league, and they haven't played in front of home fans yet. How much are you looking forward to to getting back to Edmonton, getting this team in front of fans again, and just just showing this city what you've built? No, it's crazy as being a BC boy. Uh... I actually miss Edmonton right now. Cannot, cannot wait to get back. <laughs> um, so in this, in this business, uh, your home changes uh, very quickly and you embrace where you are. But I've enjoyed my time at Edmonton so far and we look forward to, to getting back there. But most importantly, when we get back, we look forward to seeing supporters and fans and being able to embrace each other um, because this game is better when you do it together. I think if players are playing in empty stadiums, it's not the same. Uh, it's I, I don't want to make the same comparison, but how would it feel for supporters to be in a stadium that's empty? Uh, it, it's yeah. not the life. The lifeblood of the game doesn't exist unless we're all existing together. Um, so uh, we need to. I hope we do. I'm pretty certain we will in Alberta at least uh, have fans there when we get back, and we look forward to to putting on as good a show as we can possibly do. That's for sure. 
Yeah, it's kind of crazy. Like, as you said, you look at the Euros, you see all these countries that they're cramming them in. And, like, I mean, even here, I, I was out last week at a Whitecaps under-23 game against FC Tigers. I'm going to be calling their games in the PCSL. There's going to be folk in attendance there. And you think, well, how can they do it at that level? And then the bigger ones can't. But anyway, that's I guess that's for the health folk to, to sort out. Last, last thing for you. You've got... Of course, the Alberta Derby. It's going to be a, a special occasion when you, you get to, to play cavalry, especially in front of fans, both home and away. How much are, are you looking forward to that? I, I've known Tommy for quite a few years now after his foothill times, and he's a guy that likes to play mind games. Are, are you ready for all of that and everything that goes with a, a Derby game? Uh, I hope Tommy tries to play mind games because uh, I certainly won't get caught into that, that's for sure. <laughs> I love derbies. I, I I love the Cascadia derbies. I love the Hell is Real derby. Uh, I love even love the SFU UBC rivalry yeah. many many years ago. Um, so Edmonton Calgary is a derby. The few people that I've been able to meet during this pandemic in Edmonton will tell you very quickly that Edmonton Calgary is a huge rivalry. Uh, and obviously when we get to play each other, it's going to be a big game. Uh, but that's something we're going to embrace. That's we're in a building phase right now as a club. Uh, and I've been through this a lot to my university and my professional career. Uh, the first year is really about setting setting the table. Uh, and uh, obviously when we play the derbies, we'll go give everything we can. We've never beaten the uh, cavalry before. So yeah. we hope to we hope to change that very, very quickly. But this is going to take time. Uh, I, I feel like we're going to make inroads this year. We're going to try to compete as much as we possibly can. Uh, just like everywhere I've been. Uh, I feel like in... In Cincinnati, our first year we were decent. The second year we won the league and we broke all the records. My my first year at SFU, we were okay. The second year we went to a Final Four. Um, it's been like that everywhere I've gone this journey. Is the first year really is an assessment phase. You start putting the building blocks in place and, and then you build you build on that. Um, and that's what the plan is here. We're going to embrace this year as much as possible. You, you focus one season at a time and uh, we want to shoot for the stars, but I'm very much a realist, of course. We're, we're going to take baby steps uh, and hopefully win as many games as we can uh, and hopefully go win our classical for the first time in our club's history um, and just keep on marching forward. Fantastic. Well, it's always a pleasure to talk to you, Alan. I'll hopefully get out to, to see a, a game in Edmonton at some point this year. I've got a ton of WestJet credits that I have to use up, so I'm planning to take in some games. So I'll, I'll certainly get out there to see it. And I'll I'll see you around on some of the post-game calls. So thanks so much. Good luck there. And I'm sure we'll talk soon. Thanks, Michael. I appreciate it. And we call this land South Africa The Cape of Hope to the Northern Star From the hope and peace will never be apart FC Edmonton head coach Alan Koch there just talking all things about the Eddies. I mean, what are you expecting from Edmonton under Allen this year, Zach? All joking aside about, you know, Edmonton and not really wanting them to do well in general. Um, I, I like Allen and I, I hope I hope they do well for his sake. They also have a number of uh, talented players and players who we know well. And I hope yeah. they will. They will Tom, Tommy Gardner got the start on Saturday. Is Fraser Aird's also there now, right? Too. Oh yeah, Fraser yeah. Aird. Everything was going through Fraser Aird. He was taking all the set pieces. He yeah. seems to be the guy that's going to make them tick. And it, it was noted that when they did uh, the squad and the roster, 
everyone had a position beside him, apart from Fraser Aird. So I can't remember who it was, but he was joking. It's like, he's a free spirit. He'll do whatever he wants. What formation are they playing? We don't know. It's up to Fraser Aird what they decide to do. Yeah. So, I mean, I hope I hope for their sake that the, the you know, players like those you mentioned and some others, that they do well. I think this the kickoff for them will hopefully not have the same kind of uh, feel as the Island games did for them, where it was really hard to get going and they were really poor <laughs> on the whole. Um, so I hope it won't, won't be that kind of experience for them. I hope that this will be um, a positive experience for them and for some of those players. But we know that Edmonton and the, the Fats as the owner have a certain kind of approach and they're very hands-on and, I wonder, I, and I, I don't know any of the details behind the scenes of what's going on, but I wonder how the pandemic really will will impact them. Because based on how I perceive things to, to work there in the past, I would I would imagine it would have a, a bigger impact on someone like Edmonton than it will some of the other mm-hmm. clubs. Um, so that that'll that'll be interesting to see how that plays out this year. But um, I mean, in general, obviously, all, again, all jokes aside, oh, tractors and all that. Um, I I do hope. I do, I do. I mean, I hope. I hope well for most of the the, the teams and players in the in the Canadian Premier League. Oh, who I want who don't you hope well for? I can't take to York Nine. I have to say, they haven't well, excited me yet. I, I, I there that one kit they have is quite nice, but um, they. I mean, it's hard for me not to like them because I've I lived there for so long. Oh well, yeah. Um, and you're a big fan of Yorkie. May he rest in peace wherever he is in space. Um, but no, um, yeah, there's only a few, a few people maybe that I'm not super excited for, but, um, most of them I appreciate very strongly. Most of the players in the clubs in the, in the, in the Canadian Premier League. For anyone that doesn't know that the season, there's going to, each team's going to play eight games in this kind of bubble environment in Winnipeg. Then there's going to be another 20 games, hopefully in their home markets. Yeah. So it's a 28 game season. We'll get into the playoff situation soon, but. Does this kind of tournament do it for you when you know it's there's nothing on it apart from just some early games? I loved the island games because that was it. It was the whole shebang. You had a winner. But these are basically just regular season games played at a pre-season pace initially and no fans. Yeah, the thing is with this one, it's really to get everybody... Uh kind of get the excitement going is probably a little bit of a cost cutter so you don't have to worry about travel as much obviously they've already done the pacific fc halifax the two farthest teams apart well, yeah it's a lot, of the east v, a lot of east v west matchups at this kickoff yeah. tournament because and they they get that out of the way yeah so they get to the, keep, keep the cost low and everything obviously and i think it's just to you know build some excitement because the tournament these kind of tournaments do build a little bit of excitement we we weren't really that into the island games until they started, and once they started, it was like, yeah, yeah it, it was, was much in, it was enjoyable. I like for, MLS is back. I was like a bit meh, and then it started, and I loved it. Um, for me, uh, uh, I I'm probably cheering mostly for Pacific FC. I don't really care for much of the other teams. I like a, a few players on other teams, like Calvary's uh, Marco Carducci, mm. and. Um, uh, uh, so I, 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 Carducci like is the guy that I've always thought of, uh, especially when thinking about other keepers as well. Uh, so, uh, so when, I, I will. When, when do you think about these other keepers? Not in the show, yeah. hopefully. No, during during the show. During the show. Oh, okay. Uh, 
Um, uh, so, uh, Calvary FC, I, I, if, if, if Pacific's not there, I probably would cheer for Calvary, but Pacific's the team I cheer for mostly. I, I really like Tommy Bielden, as long-time listeners on the show will know. I'd, I'd realised I hadn't chatted to him for ages or had any press releases from Cavalry FC, and I checked, and I seem to have dropped off their mailing list somehow. So I'll hopefully get a chance to chat with him on Sunday I'm, after the game. Obviously, Alan, too. I'm, Alan's a uh, big, uh, big well, friend of ours. We've known Alan for, for so long time. Years now. So I, I, even though he's, he's coaching FC Edmonton, I'll cheer for them a little bit here and there. Yeah. Hopefully we can get you to a Pacific game because you've you've never made it over there yet. So no, yeah, we'll see. This this year could be the year. Yep, fingers crossed. We can all get to some games soon. So this twenty eight game season, it's then it's a single table, which I'm a fan of. Top four teams will then go into straight knockout game, first v fourth, second v third, with the first and the second teams hosting. I I quite like that format. I know it's kinder, but it's only eight teams and have the teams make the playoffs. It does lose a little bit, but hopefully it's going to keep as many teams uh, in the mix as, as possible f- for this season. It's hard st- still to see past Forge FC really uh, as one of those four teams. Pacific impressed me today, so I mean, hopefully they will be in the mix as well, get some playoff football on the island. That would be absolutely fantastic I've, to, to get I've over to. I've seen them in higher and up in a lot of predictions. Uh, a lot of teams do have, like, have them high up there. Well, I mean, Pa's spoken about, like, this has been a process and this is, like, the third year of it and you're really going to see what, what what they can bring this year. And I think that is going to be the case. I mean, Ottawa have got some exciting talents. They impressed me today. We'll see what the four teams on Sunday bring. But I'm looking forward to it. I, I've got a few disappointments I want to talk about. First of all... Starting it and your first game when the Euros is on. And I know the first game kicked off in between the, the two games, but it is not ideal starting during a big tournament when your games aren't even on TV to begin with. There's going to be a lot of soccer fans in Canada that have got no idea that the Canadian Premier League kicked off this weekend. Hey, and that's not even the Euros. If there were no Euros, that might be the case, unfortunately, yeah, there, because it's not well. on television. I, I don't know that. why they didn't didn't push the kickoffs back a bit. Yeah, it would maybe have clashed with TFC and the Whitecaps, but there's going to be less folk watching that than tuning into yeah. the Euro game. And of course, the worst nightmare for them was the Italy Austria game went to extra time, so folk would be be watching that. At least there was a weather delay that kind of put things back for for the the second yes. game between that Halifax weather and de- that weather delay that lasted just enough time for the Italian yeah. team to yes. win with the blue sky. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure there, sure there was thunder. So, I mean, that that's one of my, my bugbears. But I mean, the other one is the general fact that all these games are going to be on one soccer. There's going to be a lot of people that aren't going to know it's on. And I'm not knocking one soccer. I thought it was good production today on the whole. Although the fake stadium stuff was doing my head in, in that second game. It kept moving about. It was like, yeah. that was very uncomfortable to watch at times. But, I mean, it's a, it's a good camera angle. It seems a better camera angle than it was at PEI. Yeah. I, I just wish they could get it more exposed, get it out to a, a bigger market. I, that That's one of my, my big bugbears. Because the other bugbear is they have not recognised the players' union yet. And David Clanahan was asked about that. I'm going to play some David Clanahan audio shortly talking about it. 
and just brushed it off, said he's not here to talk about that, he's here to focus on this, they'll get round to it when the time is right. So, I mean, that's that's all disappointing. Those things do detract a little bit, but I am excited for, for the season to come. CPL Commissioner David Clanahan did chat to media on Thursday about the, the season and what it's taken to get to that, the financial situation of the league. I wasn't able to make the call. I was at work, I was at a meeting, I could not get out of it. But I've got the audio. I'm going to play some of what I thought was the most interesting bits of it just now. So so let's hear just now from the commish, David Clanahan. I know you guys uh, within the CPL have come out with a bunch of scenarios when it comes to uh, after the fact, playing at these home facilities. And say if there is another wave that comes in, uh, you know, God forbid. But if it does, what are some of the things that you guys have in place? Do you have a contingency plan where you might have a Winnipeg 2.0? Yeah, we, we've talked about a number of things, Moses, but right now we are very focused on the kickoff in Winnipeg and we're watching the provinces as they as they start to open up. Um, we we obviously we've heard announcements we, you know, we need to follow the, there's going to be protocol setups that have to be done. The clubs are going to be back at, at the, the offices of the clubs are going to be back at home working through the logistics and everything that needs to happen. Um, we actually believe that, you know, that the, the, uh, the country is, is, in, is moving in the right direction. I, I, I agree. There's always that chance something could, could, ha- could happen. But I think the way Canadians have embraced this idea of, of getting their vaccines, and now that uh, the second doses shots now are over 20% and climbing every day, that's a good thing too. So, you know, as Canadians, we're relatively good rule followers. And I think in this case, that stands as in good stead, right? So, so and I think people are just they're, they want to do the right thing because we miss live sports so much. So we have other uh, alternatives that we can work on. No issue whatsoever. Uh, it's amazing when, you, when you're able to do a couple of these things and you, and you do it relatively seamlessly. I mean, it's kind of like a duck on a pond, right? Ab- above the water, it looks like the duck's all calm. But underneath, the, you know, th- those feet are kicking like you've never seen. So, uh, but we're... We, we, we uh, now that we've done it and, and hopefully everything goes the same way in Winnipeg, we uh, we become very uh, adept at it and we and we can be creative and nimble. And we've set ourselves up for that, uh, for that specific reason, Moses. What kind of work went into deciding that Winnipeg was going to be the place to go to start this season instead of returning to the PEI bubble, for example? Yeah, it's a great question, Eric. I, I think, you know, one of the things that's not a lot of people realize this, but we were being courted by 11 different sites, um, four international countries, uh, including the United States. Uh, no, sorry, I t- five international countries, one in Europe, uh, the United States was another, and three in the Caribbean. We also had uh, six venues that were looking t- for us to go to, uh, to them in Canada. What really happened was it was it was more the when we could start in Manitoba, the government government of Manitoba, along with the provincial health uh, ministry there and the city of Winnipeg, they they stepped forward and, and and really came to us with 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 an opportunity to get started earlier than others, and so that and the fact that we have Valor FC as one of our our, our member clubs there, knowing that we would be able to. Uh, uh, leverage what we've already built there. We thought that was the right thing to do. So uh, it, it's it's very interesting because I, I think as well as we did with 
with the Island Games in Prince Edward Island. And by the way, phenomenal hosts, phenomenal people. People, you know, opened their homes and their hearts and 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 their doors to us when we went there. Um, but but uh, but this was the right thing to do for us in in in, in this year. Uh, so so that's why we uh, we ended up in, in in Winnipeg and in Manitoba. I'd imagine this bubble can't be cheap. I mean, the flights, the hotels, the buses, the meals, all the signage. And you guys are going on almost two years now without having any butts uh, in the seats. So just financially, how are you guys pulling off this bubble here in Winnipeg? So a lot of it is commitment from the clubs. There's no doubt. Um, you know, the clubs have got to, you've got to invest in, in, in your business. And, and that's what's happening. It's happening in businesses right across Canada, Taylor. You know that. I, it's, it's, it's one of those things. It also means that, you know, you've got uh, uh, the government of Manitoba and, uh, and, and tourism in, in, in Winnipeg uh, and economic development, they're, they're also helping as well. They saw what we did at the Island Games and they saw how much uh, we were able to promote the province and the city of Charlottetown out there. And so it was uh, millions of dollars of value that they got out of it. So that, that worked well. I'm not saying it's dollar for dollar. Uh, they're not giving us that level of of, of uh, contribution, but but they've done they, they've they've stepped up for sure, and they've made they've, they've helped us also uh, negotiate some good deals with hotels and things like that. So that's that's all part of it. But uh, but we, we make sure that we uh, we give back a lot in kind as well. So uh, but that's but the vast majority of this really does come come from the league and from the clubs. The the owners have to step forward, and 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 that tells. You know, what, what it shows to me is that we've got owners that are committed and they are patient and they understand that you need to invest in things before they can before before they can grow to the to the to to where you would like them to be. And uh, and I think we've shown that now in two years. I wouldn't want to do it forever uh, because the reality is, uh, you know, when it comes to entertainment, especially spectator sports, you need bums and seats. Uh, that's what that's what pays the bills. So but hopefully we've almost got that behind ourselves, Taylor. And just jumping back to what Moses asked earlier, and I'm not trying to be negative, but I mean, who knows what could happen this year. So just how devastating would it be, though, if these teams aren't able to return to their home markets and you guys play the season? And just how confident are you that this league can survive uh, this pandemic? Oh, no, listen, <laughs> we will survive. I think there's a famous song like that, but uh, no, no, Taylor, we, we will survive. We're, I'm very confident that the country is going to come out of this in the right way, but we also have contingency plans. We know what we can do. Uh, listen, there's, there's too much at stake here. This, this league, we need this league. This game needs this league in this country. And, and, and we've heard that loud and clear from every corner of the country. So, so we're, we're, we're ready for it. Uh, sure. Would we, we wouldn't be happy about it, but, uh, but you get creative, you pivot, you get nimble, you do what you have to do. And, and I think uh, you'd probably agree. We've, we've done that in, a, in, in our, in our short term that we've been around so far, Taylor. You know, this season, the, the league is going into its third season and obviously it's won the hearts and minds of a lot of, you know, hardcore soccer fans in the country. So how does the league sort of expand its fan base beyond that pool of, of fans to grab more sort of casual sort of soccer fans and more just general sports fans in order to gain more relevancy within the Canadian sporting landscape? That's, that's a good point, John. Well, there's a couple of things, obviously it's, it's, it's distribution of the sport for sure. Uh, you've got to, you've got to, you've got to make sure you've got proper dis distribution and we're doing, we're doing a lot of that with one soccer. Uh, but there's, there's interest by people to see our, our, our games. They want to see the games. Um, I think 
the, the sport itself, and this is where we all, all the entire ecosystem, all of you, all of us, everybody has to pull together on this. We know that this sport won't be built by one person or, or one organization. It has to be built by all of us. And so it's a number of things all coming together. It's, it's whether it be MLS clubs or CPL clubs, whether it's uh, the, the men's and women's national team, whether it's Forge playing in CONCACAF, whether it's our league playing, whether it's, uh, you know, the, the next level down in Ontario at League One. It's all of those things happening together where it's we're talking about soccer all the time in this country, right? It's about success of individual Canadian players playing overseas, whether it be either men or women in some of the professional clubs over in Europe, winning in teams where they're leaders in those teams, the Alfonso Davies of the world, the Jonathan Davids of the world, you know, the Kyle Aaron's of the world that, that are actually in there and, you know, uh, you know, uh, you know, Christine Sinclair, like all these, they're bringing home hardware where they've won it and they're, they're playing at the highest levels of football globally. So I, I think that's, that's really what starts to get people interested in it. And then we've got a generation of young people, John, that are all growing up playing this game much more than they've played any other sport before. Soccer now is the highest participation sport in this country, bar none. Right. Uh, we've talked about hockey versus soccer in the five and six year old category in the past. Right. We're bringing those young people along. The most important thing was to have that pathway built where everybody feels they can stay in the game. Right. And be part of it. And, and those who want to aspire to be better or the best, there is a pathway for them. We're doing all of the right things. Uh, it's going to take it takes time. You know, uh, famous saying when uh, they did the big dig in Boston. Mm -hmm. right? said it to you before if if uh you know rome wasn't built in day if it was they'd have hired their contractor i feel that every single day john so but but that's what we'll, we have to keep on it's uh it's a it's it's a mission for sure great and just a quick follow-up if i may i'm just wondering has there been any talk between the league and the professional footballers association of canada with regards to recognition of the players union or is that on on hold for now no, no. Look, today, today, uh, I'm focusing on you know celebrating the whole kickoff of our 2021 season and sharing all the exciting news. Right, the past year has been like we've done a tremendous, filled with a lot of hard work. There's a lot of determination and endless hours of legwork that we've put into this. So we've been focusing on being able to deliver a season so our players can play. And our fans and supporters can get uh, and, and, and can get uh, the, to see games because they've waited and they've been so anxiously awaiting this for a full season of CPL football. Uh, but that's what we're focused on right now. And we'll, we'll move forward with the other later on. As, as the league continues to grow with uh, the number of clubs, quality of play we've seen, attendances uh, most likely. And then you got the recent success of the national team. World Cup is just around the corner. We see CPL players going out on loan or transferred to other leagues around the world. Um, I'm curious from your perspective, what type of interest are you seeing in terms of investment interest in the league and specifically internationally? Um, I think, you know, when, when we were, when we were fortunate to meet our friends and partners now from Atletico Madrid, um, that, that changed the world for us. We, we had, we had already been having talks with different clubs, you know, everyone's, Everyone wants to poke a little bit, kick the tires, see what's going on over here in Canada. You got to remember, people love this country around the globe, right? They really do. Uh, and so, so there's, a, there's a genuine interest there right away. But when Atletico Madrid stepped up and said, you know, we, we, we'd like to own a club in the CPL, that changed everything because it validated what we were doing. 
And so, and I think that only gets better. Now, yes, um, are we talking to other clubs uh, uh, across the across the world? Yes, we are. Can I tell you who they are? No, I can't because we have, you know, we, we, we sign these non-disclosure agreements, but we're very, we're very bullish on the fact that we've got a tremendous pipeline for expansion here. Uh, and that's going to be that, that, that I'm extremely excited about because again, people that uh, you look at the big clubs across the, across the world, they want to grow their brands. They can only grow their, their brands to a certain level when it comes to fans and supporters, but they need to grow them uh, from an economic perspective as well. And so, they, you can see some of the clubs that have already been doing that. Everyone's looking at the same thing. And of course they see the level of opportunity for, for at, uh, athletes to be created as great soccer players coming out of this country. It starts, it starts with a small amount, right? But it's growing. You can see it uh, now. And it's that snowball running down the hill. It gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And so, so yes, are people talking to us? 100%. Can I tell you who they are? No. CPL Commissioner David Clanahan there. The league's underway. It's running for the next month in Winnipeg, hopefully back to the home markets. We're going to be doing a lot of interviews over the coming weeks with some of the players, the coaches. We'll have some one-on-ones to bring you, so stay tuned for that. That is it, though, for this episode of the podcast. We've managed to get through it with very little mistakes. I don't have too much to cut out. It is sweltering hot in all our houses. I... Had to close our window because neighbours seem to be having a party, so that's just added to it. I can't wait to get the air conditioning back on, so I'm going to say bye. Just before we go, let everyone know where they can find you online, starting with you, Steve. Uh, You can find me on Twitter at WhitecapsBeat. And you can find me on Twitter also uh, at uh, ZacharyAM. You can find me on Twitter at AFTN Canada. Read all our stuff away from the numbers, AFTN.ca. Had a few articles up on that this week. I'm trying to get back more into the writing side of things because we've been doing a, a lot of podcasting. That is it for this show. We've talked Whitecaps, we've talked MLS, we've talked CPL. It's a busy July to come in all of those aspects. Throw in the Gold Cup as well. There's Copa America. There's the Euros winding up. We didn't even have time to talk about that. No, I'm not going to talk about Scotland. All I'll say is I hope Germany stuff England and when they play at the start of next week. I'm sure Zach does as well. We will be back soon. Until then, thanks for listening. Stay safe, stay cool, and mon the caps. Go into your first match is an experience you never forget. The atmosphere of what's going on around the pitch looks beautiful and you always look and go, wow, I'd love to play here one day. If you get the bug, it's going to stay with you for life.
E F F